0: Hi, everyone hello hello can y'all hear me chat hello Anybody there yeah okay there are people okay uh audio's good okay great if 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 at any point y'all are like oh one person is too loud and one person is too soft please say as much and i can i can fix it um all right so I'm let's always too loud <laughs> no i they're they're here to hear you they're, they're nobody they, they hear me way too much <laughs> they're probably sick of me um, all right, let's go ahead and get into it. So hello everyone. Uh, welcome to Lord Beards. We have a really, really, really special episode here today. Cause we've got the one and only Andy law with us. And, uh, I am extremely excited for this. Uh, me and him were talking just a little bit earlier that he has been involved in the hobby and Warhammer space for, uh, quite some time. Um, <laughs> I was, I was, uh, I was not yet, uh, among us, uh, human beings <laughs> when, he, when he was still, uh, Out there getting things done. So to say that, so over 30 years experience with uh, the Warhammer IP, which is just crazy and amazing. Um, So if you uh, wouldn't mind kind of introducing yourself to people that might not uh, be familiar with your work here in the chat, and then we'll kind of get into stuff.
1: I'll do okay right my name is Andy Law I have been working in Warhammer for one way or another pretty much since I was born or at least that's how it feels I started by joining Games Workshop after opening my own store ran around there for a little bit jumped out and then started working as a freelance where I uh, worked on Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay primarily and I ended up doing writing for that maps for that and eventually writing the most current edition of the game Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay fourth edition um, I've worked for Black Library, Games Workshop, and a bajillion others on the side. As a freelancer, I've worked for people like Critical Role, you may have heard of, who mm. uh, do big D&D Twitch streams, for example. I've worked for Call of Cthulhu. Or I've worked for loads of games. I, I do stuff. I've also done lots of 40k bits and bobs through my time as well, because who doesn't love a bit of 40k? Yeah. So, loosely speaking, um, that's who I uh, am. I also am now uh, an RPG chappie. I run my own company, Rookery Publications, um, co-owning it with a bunch of other super cool folks, and we produce uh, system generic stuff. Um, All the people that we worked with there were people that I worked with on Warhammer, so they're all Warhammer fans. Indeed, we're about to live stream with a bunch of them, the Enemy Within campaign, on Warhammer 4th, 4th edition, and we're going to oh, be live exciting. streaming that online like the idiots that we are, that's going to be an awful lot of fun. Uh,
0: I'm going to be watching the absolute hell out of that, and uh, if y'all uh, haven't, uh, I will have links uh, kind of around uh, when this is posted up on YouTube and such for uh, all of the Rookery stuff especially, uh, if you haven't, you should check it out, uh, I've been binging some of those podcasts lately, and they are excellent, and also hysterical, um, so uh, I highly uh, recommend them.
1: Yeah, just add a bit about that we stream every single week we're between seasons just now between season four and five i can't believe we've got our seasons up already Well, it feels like i just started it like last week um but we've got uh four seasons worth of material with people from across the games industry we speak to computer games people we speak to board games people we speak to role playing games people we speak to artists we speak to producers we take a deep dive into writing world building literally everything to do with gaming and uh Mostly it's just us getting together with our mates and having a really big laugh for an hour every single Saturday. It's a good time. Yeah,
0: and it, it, it's very delightful to watch. Uh, it's very engaging. The chat's able to ask questions. And uh, yeah, highly recommend for anybody that has any interest, whether it's in video games or story writing or just anything. Uh, there's really no excuse not to watch it, to be frank, especially if you've somehow ended up here. Um, <laughs> so... Um, With introductions out of the way, uh, let's go ahead and just kind of dive into, so Warhammer Fantasy, something very near and dear to my heart and in this community's heart, like we've kind of very much built up around Warhammer Fantasy lore and literature. Um, I know you saw that uh, uh, not too long ago, I did a video kind of, uh, that's the first Mm. step into exploring the cosmology and the kind of like the stars and everything, Warhammer Fantasy, and there's this amazing quote from (laughs) Finrear, and it was like oh this is perfect and i reached out to one of my voice actor friends and came in and did it and it turned out perfect and you literally wrote that and it's it's yeah i wrote that (laughs) it's 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 wild to think that of like um i i have to say it's it's so it's so amazing and kind of terrifying to just kind of like be able to sit and talk with someone who it's like i literally study the stuff that you've written for a job like that's that's what i do for a living. (laughs) <laughs> I study um, this.
1: And there's a there's a small story on that one actually. Um it was originally written that particular piece for the second edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay back in about 2007. Mm. And I uh sat down and we were doing the religion book for that game at that time which was called the Tome of Salvation. Um, right. Excellent I, book. I I did a huge chunk of that book. And the cosmology was obviously an important part of that. Um I created all the star systems, I created you know all the not the stars, the Zodiac. Um, Mm -hmm. I built all the stars that they had for that. And I was working through the planets as well. Uh, that took a little bit of research because there's quite a lot of material that had been hidden away in little resources here or there, Black Library novels, for example, as mm-hmm. I mentioned in a comics and somewhere. And I'd, I'd collated all the sources, got it right. And I was like, it's done. I've got all the planets. I know where they are. I know how they got there. I've got the whole <laughs> thing. going to write a really cool thing for this. Wrote the cool thing for it. Did myself a very quick image, um, which you may have referenced in your video as well, yes, which we... the, the soul and all the planets. Yeah. Um, we... with, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was up. Um, so I did that image as well. And I did that for the Tome of Salvation. Um, and that was all sent off. And uh, suddenly, right just before publication, Games Workshop went, I'm not sure if we want to clarify this or not. Do we want <laughs> to clarify this or not? Do we want to have it written down so we're bound by it in a future... Uh, hmm. publication? I'm not sure we do. And there was a loose conversation. I was like, well it's out of my hands now. I've done my job. And off it went. And they eventually decided to cut that little box in the end. A tiny little box in the corner, which was going to have a very small map and just that little bit from Spinry Earth saying the things about what how many planets there were and all the rest of it. Right. And right. the harmony of the spheres. So I was like, oh well that's a shame. And I just kept it on my computer. And it got dropped into uh deleted sections document at one point about the Tome of Salvation because I'd cut personally about 15,000 words from that book because there was only so much space that I had and my submission for that was about I did about 70,000 words of that book as I recall so I cut about 10,000 of those um, including a huge chunk about um, the dwarves and how they built the calendar that they had and how that influenced influenced the imperial calendar Um, and that, that was super fun uh, but that was we wee while. I don't suppose there's a secret place
0: where any of these are
1: <laughs> lurking around. I don't know. I mean, they might... Um, I lost most of my older stuff from the mid-2000s in a hard drive crash, mm. which was the saddest day because I lost... I must have lost about a million words, <laughs> Um, which, which was tears flowing down my cheeks. Yeah, right? I bet I'm crying plus, just thinking about plus, it. Plus, yeah, plus around about... I mean, Warhammer Maps alone, I must have lost around about... 250, something like that, because um, oh. I had done so many, um, of which, of those, about 100 or so, or maybe 120 were published, but I had a whole bunch of other ones as well. Um, anyway, it came to fourth edition, and it was nearing the end of my tenure. I was just at the point of resigning from uh, being the producer of the fourth edition of the game. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I was the person who did all the commissioning. I got everyone in. I discussed with them what they were going to write. I told them what they could and they couldn't do, that sort of thing. Um, and I hired on all the artists. And we were just at the uh, point where I was going, and I was doing the final passes on the calendar section for Enemy in Shadows, uh, which was the first part of the Enemy Within campaign. Mm. The campaign I'm foolishly going to be streaming online like an idiot. Um, and there was a space. And I went, Jesus! <laughs> and I can pull that because I know exactly what should go in there. So I pulled out my old Harmony of the Spheres doc, tried to find it, it wasn't there. Cried because it had been lost in the hard drive crash had a good think and then remembered they posted online somewhere did a bunch of web searches found parts of it <laughs> constructed constructed my old article that i wrote from those parts and then found out a friend of mine had copied everything i posted into one of my old forums into a file he posted it back to me i hugged my original popped that in did a quick edit of it to make it make sense and the harmony of the spheres is in enemy and shadows in the calendar section in the appendix we got it out in the end, and Games Workshop were more than happy with it on the second pass through. They were like, "Yeah, yeah, that's totally cool." We've been dealing <laughs> with this for quite some time now. All yeah. the stuff that you wrote the first time is now pretty much the thing. Away you go! Yeah. So there you go. That's how it goes. Man,
0: I'm so glad that it is there because uh, it it sets up like I never in my life thought that I was going to read a passage that maybe would go, "Wait, where's my Burning Shore book?" <laughs> because I was like, "Where?" <laughs> Like never, yep. never thought I'd need to dig that book out of, uh, out of, uh, my like uh, shelf. But, um, so, oh man, there's so many things that open. So, um, just looking, thinking about where to start. So, uh, the, I guess the best way place to start is as someone who is like responsible for creating so much of the stuff that there's, you know, tens, if not hundreds of thousands of people, like really combing nitty gritty stuff, trying to, uh, do all this world building. How do you approach, like, uh, whether it's the Tome of Salvation or the Realm of the Ice Queen or Tome Corruption or any of these books, where you're like, they're like, okay, here's a little army book that has some vague maps and just, you know, some really, really broad (laughs) details, and you look at that and go, okay, I need to create a culture and a calendar and a history, and it all has to kind of weave together this stuff that like 30 different people have worked on, and they didn't necessarily cross-check each other's stuff. They were just kind they of- yeah, they're just you know, they're just kind of throwing things out that sound cool, and you're like, okay, I gotta bring everybody together and also fill in like original stuff. Like how yep. I don't, how did, so I guess Rums of the Ice Queen would be the best place to start, of uh, Kislev, very, okay. very, very faintly covered, um, you know, not yeah. a lot before that, and you come in and create this, frankly, I, you know, like, practically a masterpiece of this thing that takes all these different, like, Eastern European cultures, and a lot of very interesting mythologies, and, like, some really famous mythologies, like Baba Yaga, and, like, these ideas of, like, oh, witches and hags, uh, but also, like, the old mythology of the Ice Queen, um, uh, from that old fable, how do you take all of that and then compress it into something that looks like it makes sense?
1: Right. So this is pretty much my bread and butter. Um, this is what I do and have done for some time. Um, and it's all spawned from when I used to work as staff at Games Workshop a long, long time ago. But you know, back when you were almost born, and I'm now <laughs> feeling really old. Um, and we would discuss um how For example, the Empire Army List, when it came out, the very first one, 1992, as I think we mentioned, pre-call, it rewrote the Empire. Before the Empire Army List, you had what was presented in the first edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, and it had a very detailed version of what the Empire was. And Karl Franz, for example, the good old emperor um, was not our Griffin riding hero at that point. He was uh, almost certainly a decrepit rather broken individual. Not necessarily that old, but most certainly not a very good emperor by Hmm. any measure. And through the course of the Enemy Within campaign likely died. In fact, almost certainly did die and was replaced. So most people at that time were very much of the opinion that Karl Franz was already the past was already someone they were moving on from. And then the book comes out and says, Carl Franz wields the hammer of Sigmar on a griffin and kicks ass, (laughs) chews gums and takes names. And that that completely (laughs) rewrote him and completely rewrote the politics of the empire as well by taking a look at uh, the existing maps and simplifying it a little to smooth it down and make it a far easier presentation for the army list. And immediately, you had camps beginning to form. Some people who said, well, this was nonsense. They always were better. Other people who said, well, we can make this all work together, can't we somehow? And I was always in that camp. The, there is no reason that all of these versions of Warhammer can't be all speaking to the same thing. Right. They can all live inside the same universe with a little bit of thought. Mm-hmm. There is no reason that we can't meet the enemy within marry well with what Warhammer presents. And from the beginning, that's what I did. Uh, when it comes to actually writing it, far later now, we're talking 25 years later, say on the end, 25? No, 15 years later for mm-hmm. Realm of the Ice Queen. No, nope. yeah, 15 Yes, for Realm of the Ice Queen. Um, that, that is an exercise of that sort of mindset, the it can all work together. Um, put into practice with a bunch of creative people who then fill in all the gaps to make it all make sense. Um, I was part of a team in that particular book. Um, One of the members of that team, for example, was Graham McNeil. Graham McNeil had written the Ambassador Chronicles. Mm. You may have read the Ambassador Chronicles. They're a set of Black Library novels that take place in Kislev and deal with not Sean Connery, Honestly, he's not Sean Connery. <laughs> but the deal was Sean Connery, the ambassador, Von Velten. And Von Velten is um, a, a great character. And through the course of that character's, let's say, passage through Kislev, you learn all manner of new stuff about Kislev. But we also had the army list for Kislev, which had come out for, I forget which edition it was at that point. Um, we're probably looking at six, seven, seven. Uh, seven? I believe it was six. <laughs> Somewhere around there, the Mm. um, Kislev, I think it was six that came out for, and that was written by Gav, uh, Gav Thorpe. And Gav's version was, again, a bit different. Mm. And we had a slightly different version. We had a bunch of new gods added, uh, where, for example, Graham McNeil, when he'd written the Ambassador Chronicles, he'd fallen back on the standard old world gods of Moor and Shalia and hadn't really gone into any depth with any form of actual Kislev gods, Mm. um, our um, our Ursins or our Tyre or whomever. And uh, they had to be married together. But we also had the warm Fantasy Roleplay 1 version of the Kislev. And if you've ever read Something Rotten in Kislev, it's very different. And right. I mean really different. Far more steeped in old Russian lore with lots of spirits and higgledy-piggledy stuff. Far less um, Mother Kislev and the great open oblasts. And uh, it's 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 a massive taiga filled with trees in Fantasy Roleplay 1 where in Fantasy Roleplay 2... It changed completely into a wide open area of open oblast with snow everywhere. Mm. um, With Mother Islev herself um, uh, freezing the entire place and making it, even though it's on a similar uh, level to many parts of the Empire, frozen to its core. And coming up with reasons for why that was the case and explaining everything became a part of the creative process. Because you've got to look at what Games Workshop had made and make it make sense within the world of the Empire. And the Empire. Halibutland at one point used to stretch over Kislev. What does that mean?
0: Right. Mm-hmm.
1: Um, at one point, Ostland used to stretch over that area. There used to be problems with the Ropsmans, with the local Ungol tribes. Exactly what did that mean is we try to figure out the past. And whenever you do a role-playing book, it requires so much more depth than it is required for the working book, which is generally all it needs is enough detail to go, well, this is fucking cool. Right. I must <laughs> pick those models <laughs> now. Yeah. I must collect them so awesome. Um, where when you're doing the role-playing game, you've got a GM who wants to understand that world back to front, a games master who has to present it to other people. And they can't present something they don't understand. So you've got to go into more depth. Right. And sometimes that you've got to be careful, what depth? You don't want to add too much. You've got to leave the GM enough space to add whatever they want into their world. But you've certainly got to be a strong framework, a skeleton. And we had to make sense of, several different versions. Plus, we even have things like uh, an ice wizard that popped up in the old computer games in Dark Omen, I think it was, we had a nice uh, uh, wizard in there. And he so. was a nice wizard, a, a he, he was a shaman, a nice shaman, as I recall. Um, that's running really far back here. Um, and we had a discussion right at the very beginning, um, whether we were gonna make the ice witches an all female cast, um, or whether it was going to be a mixture of men and women and how that was gonna be done. And I did all the witch and the hag and um, material for uh, the book and all the rules and all the careers and everything. Um, So I landed very strongly on um, if we're going for something that's far closer to the realms of chaos, um, we need to start building different stories. Um, And it was uh, an attempt to start undermining what had been at that point the extraordinary male dominance of previous games workshop material um where most of it was written by men for boys as it was described at the time right um or often by boys for boys and they just didn't think outside of their box they were very much inside their box just going and he does this and he does that cool and he does this and he does that cool um and we already had the ice queen in place as put in place by the empire army list in second edition uh probably in fourth edition for warhammer Um, That was the book released in 1992, as we discussed earlier. Mm -hmm. Um, And the Ice Queen of Kislev was put very firmly there. There's Katarin. So we had an establishment already. So we ran with what was already there, taking on lots of influences from around that. And slowly but surely pegged down how magic worked there, pegged down how the train worked, pegged down what Kislev was, pegged down everything, the religion, the rest, and then just... As I know, as ridiculous as this might sound, then we just wrote it. <laughs> 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 um, so I'll say loosely, there's one other big difference between someone like myself writing it and someone who's coming in blank. Um, I was brought in as the lore guy. Um, on most of the books that I was doing, even books that I wasn't writing in during second edition, for example, Uh I I was drafted in to do last minute drafts and edits on because I was doing most of the mapping as well. And the reason for that is because I'd read every Black Library novel, I owned them all. I'd read every army list, I played every computer game. Mm -hmm. I had every single Games Workshop game. I had over 10,000 points of every army that had been produced for Warhammer. I I was that geek. (laughs) <laughs> um 100% that geek. Um when I was 18 by the time I turned 18 and applied for Workshop for the first time, I already owned my own store. Um that was selling games Workshop models. I had every army in the game at that point. Mm-hmm. I said 10,000 points worth. Um and I I was a bit of a fan. Um so <laughs> Yeah. I, I was drafted in as the person who would say, well, if we're writing Kislev, make sure we mention the Ambassador Chronicles. Make sure we do, the, there's the Eringrad book, Jewel of Eringrad, whatever it's called, forget. And uh, Make sure that that's mentioned. Make sure the army list is included. Make sure we include the first edition parts. Make sure the crags of Shargon are added. That was mentioned all the way back in Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 1, 2. Uh, all the way, not Fantasy Roleplay, me Warhammer. Mm-hmm. Um, The the big crags of Shargon, they were mentioned, not mentioned anywhere else. Make sure we include uh, Dan Abnett's book, Riders of the Dead. We've got to ensure that we include the rotas from that. We've got to Mm -hmm. ensure that the version of the winged lancers that we present match what's there, that the version of the young Gauls and the gospodars match that too. Um, Because we want to try and make sure that all the different sources, if you read them, work with the book that we make. And that's an exercise in sometimes futility, because sometimes they massively contradict.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: As you mentioned earlier, there have been multiple writers, many of which haven't had access to all of the other sources when they put their piece together. And you also have a different uh, mediums, I suppose. Computer games have a completely different requirement to role-playing games, which have a different right. requirement to war-playing uh, war games. So if you take, say, Mark of Chaos, that was one of the computer games that was brought out, it reshaped and rebuilt parts of Talibheim as required for their conclusion. And Talibik Land of the entire north of it just changed. And the question is, when you go to dealing with that section, do you include that or do you not? Because they just basically stuck in a spade and started digging (laughs) as required for their game. Right. do you include that or do you not and generally my opinion is always if you can you do if you can make it work you try right you try not to contradict all those other sources because you're always going to end up upsetting someone Mm -hmm. and if you are making a change you always do it for a reason and i would always my personal preference be always do it from a position of intelligence and authority where you've already read all the sources rather than just doing it because a new idea has struck you that you must have. And they're great. Um, My personal preference in terms of gathering a team together for writing on a book like that, for example, is to have a nice mixture of folks, someone who doesn't know the background particularly well, but loves it, someone who knows it really well, someone who has a strong opinion, because you get them all together and you have um, somebody at the top of it who makes the decisions, you end up with a really good team because someone who's really imaginative and might have ideas that no one else would have because they're so constrained within the boxes of Warhammer already. And they Mm -hmm. think, well, we we, we can't do that. Um, (laughs) They are often the ones who will bring the best ideas to the table, the coolest new shit that you just look at and go, holy crap, we never considered adding that, but that totally makes sense with how we've built ice magic. Why did we do that? And everyone else who is very used to what ice magic is goes, well, I never thought about ice magic being like that because I've always thought about it how it was presented before. Right. so, yeah, nice collaborative teams, lots of uh, thought, and just writing that shit. Yeah, well,
0: <laughs> so I, I have to point out a comment, So uh, someone in my chat goes, oh man, Andy Law's like, so tech but older. I wish, I wish my life story started like that. Like, <laughs> 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 you know, I'm on the other side of the planet. I, and, you know, I, I didn't get into Warhammer until, uh, uh granted, I was very young when I started it. But, uh, yeah, no, I, I wish that's how my story began. I just, I do my best. I do my best. <laughs> but, <You're> um, <laughs> So, okay, um. So there's a lot of amazing details in that. And it, it kind of reflects a lot of things I've heard from some other writers I've had the privilege to speak with. Like, I know Andy Hall's talked a lot about kind of that open door policy games workshop really likes to use of like, okay, if you're going to write something cool, don't necessarily nitty gritty define every single little thing, like leave little smidges so that future people can come in. And if they read it, they could go, well, okay. Like he talked about, they kind of mentioned this. How do we, let's nudge that open and see where it takes us. And, you know, I love what you said about Ice Magic and that um, when Total War Warhammer 3 got announced, I remember one of the first things that I learned about um, early when I was uh, helping out with little things with it um, was, you know, they were like, okay, so instead of just the lore of Ice Magic, we're going to have the lore of the Tempest. Because what if it was ice in the air? What about ice storms? And it's like, oh, yeah, that is really cool. That makes a lot of sense. Like, you you know, it's like, because if we just do the lore of ice, because of the way the game's designed, we can only fit in six spells. But if we do... you know a side lore (laughs) now we've got 12 um and but it's 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 so interesting to kind of hear about like so it's you know it's kind of like all these foundational pillars and then working to connect those pillars with these bridges um through writing that is so good like i cannot write to save my life but the writing in these books is so amazing even though it it's british writing so oftentimes i have to pull up a dictionary and go i don't know what this word is (laughs) i
1: gotta gotta look it up (laughs) british literally had just as a small aside on that one literally had my daughter complaining about that just the other day um because i i speak in as you put it british um <laughs> and my daughter similarly has a somewhat let's say broad vocabulary and she was getting stick from her friends for saying words that they were like, What does this even mean? What are you saying? Just simple things. But for me it was super simple. Like just simply I'm famished rather than just I'm hungry. Um but yeah, she's a bit of a walking thesaurus and in turn I'm I'm the same. I, I
0: will tell you my 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 parents have lovingly complained to me that I read too many British fantasy novels because I will use different words and they go, What? And I go, Oh, it's just this and they're like, Well, why can't you just say
1: that then? <laughs> it's like, but this expresses it better. So. It absolutely does. Words have got meaning, um, and they also have, yeah, no, I, I, I'm a big fan of wordsmithing.
0: No, it's, it, hey, it's great. It makes the world feel more authentic and, like, much more, I don't know, like, it, it's good when something forces you to learn something you didn't already know before.
1: But, totally true, totally true.
0: And, uh, and you know, that kind of leads into uh, one of the things that I love so much about Warhammer and the, the writing and creating you all have done over the years when it comes to the world building elements is this whole thing of I've uh, thanks to like Total War and just what I do on the internet and stuff I've had the opportunity to travel and meet like Warhammer fans and talk with Warhammer fans like all over the world from lots of different places and one of the things that always blows my mind especially being from like you know I'm from I'm from Texas it doesn't really have an equivalent you know in the Warhammer world which takes place you know a little further before you'd get your uh your your <laughs> Texas in there other than like maybe the old school centaurs but they're almost more like kind of a native american theming but um you know i meet so many people who they fall in love with warhammer because they're from somewhere that's maybe not as well known or it has a lot of history but it doesn't tend to appear in a lot of these like lord of the rings or like all this other stuff and then they're watching warhammer and they go that's that's where i'm from like that's 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 my culture represented and they get so excited seeing these the these people they know or these mythologies that they've grown up with um coming to life and one of the things i've always wondered is when you're approaching a culture so whether it's like how you have kind of araby with a lot of kind of middle eastern themes or grand cafe being very similar to china and you know everybody talks about like you know holy roman empire with the empire and all this stuff bretonia with like france and arthurian legend kind of slapped together uh dark elves with i don't know americans (laughs) perhaps
1: there are are a little bit more meldebonians from michael Uh, there you go um (laughs) yeah yeah quite
0: Um, uh what is the like how uh one of the things i've always wondered is how do you take like either like a famous fable or like uh kind of an empire at its height from our world's history or mythology from our history and warhammer iffy it like what is that transformation that gets it from point a to point b
1: yeah this is um something that I've discussed quite a lot as well because um, obviously we stream as well weekly and we've had quite a few Warhammer writers on as well um, and everybody seems to have a slightly different way of tackling it. Um, some tackle it very sensitively, some don't really think too much about it and they just dive in and make it cool. Um, personally, I'm, I'm very, very aware of my whiteness, maleness, and, <laughs> right. and, and my creeping age. And I'm fully aware that for all, I might have a very strong voice or idea that often, particularly if you're dealing with what is somebody else's culture, you require not just assistance um, in terms of sensitivity reading, but proper assistance in terms of how to present it in general. Right. Um, I don't find that it's particularly hard Um, because I'm naturally creative and I really enjoy playing with these things. And nowadays I would argue it's harder than it used to be. And by that I mean you're far more aware of the fact that you're probably making mistakes than you might have been maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. Um, And very much more aware than say Games Workshop were in the 80s when they lapsed into unconscious racism frequently. Right, And th- that's the sort of material that often when I come in a far later date, say I'm coming in writing the early noughties, for example, and I'm looking back and I'm, I've am i been requested to say, do Kislev. And you look at it and you go, well, they've taken somebody else's culture and they've done this with it and they've done that with it. That's great. But if you went to, say, Araby or the Southlands, um, or if you went to Nippon, often the older Games Workshop material just was not great.
0: Um, yeah,
1: It wasn't created with a great deal of thought. Um, And one of the great joys of being able to re-examine material like that is to bring it up to date, is to make it awesome and cool. Um, There are still sensitivities, for example. um, I know some people who still don't like, say, for example, the Lands of the Dead or Lizardmen because they've taken somebody else's culture and they've completely rejigged it um, and basically said, basically, it's that culture, all those people who live there, but they're Lizardmen now. Right. Mm Mm-hmm and they turn them into effectively monsters. Um, and for some people, that's really difficult. For others, they love it because they can go, this is a culture that I'm from. I totally understand, this is awesome. Right. And um, as creators, there's a fine line to walk. And I think that is worth being very open about right mm-hmm. from the outset. And that's that if you are dealing with something that is loosely based on someone else's culture, there are sensitivities at hand that you must be aware of when you come towards the actual creation of this new set of material. But when you get stuck in, the actual process of Warhammerifying it is often a process of taking all the bits that people find cool and building on it, taking all the bits that, pe- that are culturally different and fascinating and exciting and building on those, not being beholden to the real world because it isn't. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of people, particularly in the Warhammer fantasy roleplay side of things, who attach themselves to certain historical realities and assume that the Warhammer world will be the same. A classic example of that is the most famous of all its settings, the Empire, where often it's not just equated to the Holy Roman Empire, people sort of port bits over and say, Well, if it's like this in the Holy Roman Empire, it should be like that in Warhammer. But it really isn't, because Warhammer is so massively different, whether it's the forests that are full with giant spiders and beastmen and dragons, and who knows what else, it's just not safe out there. Mm -hmm. Um, It's a completely different realm with a completely different history and a completely different It's had gunpowder for, depending upon which version of the lore you look at, a thousand years! And technologically hasn't shifted very much from that. The answers as to why are super fascinating. And that's something that the roleplay game is deeply interested in, where things like say a battle game aren't, because they just want to know is, well, does it have guns? Yeah, I right. look at the Lustria book. The Lustria book says in 1492, they had guns and cannons. Interesting. Uh, how do they look different to the ones in, well, they're the same as the ones that they have a thousand <laughs> years later. Interesting. Right. <laughs> but it doesn't, um, the role-playing game worries itself about making sense of those details um novels might make sense of those details if that's where the focus is but your battle game just doesn't care at all um it's far more concerned with the cool what's big and also about it and as 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 slightly depressing as this may sound it's just what's the cool yeah let's add that can't help it when you're doing more right um yeah it's sort of it's it's sort of like the real world sort of in places but it's dialed up to 11 and completely different um and i tend to find that Every single time that we've been building something for the Warhammer world, that the best stuff comes from a collaboration of people. Um, For example, I work very closely and often with Mark Gibbons. You may know Mark Gibbons; he's <laughs> yes. an artist for, um, that worked for Games Workshop in their studio all the way through the nineties um, and has continued to do work. From saw the saw
0: a very big thread conversation about his art literally yesterday.
1: <laughs> people just so, love it on so it. Mark is astonishingly good. Um, uh, and what he's astonishingly good at is taking an idea and reimagining it to be super cool. Mm. So for example, he did um, much of what people repre- recognize as the modern day Black Templar, him um, uh, and Graham McNeil beavered away at those and turned them into what they are today. Um, and that was super cool. But I work with him um, pretty much daily. Um, and I come up with an idea that I might have written, I'll call it Bob. Um, I come up with idea Bob (laughs) and he comes back and he says, well, you know, you made mention that Bob does this, this, this. And the only way that Bob can be realized is if this happens and this happens and this happens and this happens. And it's the collaboration between creatives that come up with stuff that neither of us would individually have created, Um, because he wouldn't have built the thing that I wrote. I would never have imagined it the way he imagined it. Um, And the larger the teams of passionate creatives the more awesome the end results are. And right. the broader the team as well, in terms of their cultural backgrounds, the more you're going to get awesome ideas getting fed into it. If we all happen to be middle-aged white guys, we're gonna get a middle-aged <laughs> white guy fantasy. Right. And it's, it might be an awesome middle-aged white guy fantasy, <laughs> but it's ultimately gonna be a very middle-aged white guy fantasy. Right. But if you've got a mixture of um, different genders, a mixture of different backgrounds, all pulling together with really awesome ideas, suddenly cool characters emerge from it that none of you would have made and you just sit back and go well holy fucksticks, that's amazing yeah and then it gets re- uh, resolved in the end and that's for me been my experience with creating warhammer in general um getting really good people together uh like talking out really cool ideas and then nailing them down into the very best versions of what they are
0: I, I, I love that answer so much. And just this idea of like, ah, God, I love that so much. Um, you know, one of the, I, I still remember one of the things that really like, like shocks me in a good way is, uh, when I was getting really into age of Sigmar and I, was like collecting all the notes because so there was a little time there was a small time where i was like ah, i don't want to you know the end times happened all this stuff and when it first started it was kind of, oh. yeah you know, it was all it was all very kind of it was there were a lot of hurt feelings and all this stuff mm-hmm. but um like i started really getting into it around the uh, end of first edition started second edition and was kind of collecting all those black library novels and they released a um they released a daughters of Cain book that was from three mm-hmm. new authors for black library who were all women Writing about these Dark Elves, uh, or the daughters of Cain, and it was it was amazing. Like, it was yeah. such a different take on like each of the stories were different, but they were all also interwoven into one overall narrative. It was like it was stupid how good that story was. And was <laughs> such an exciting take that it, it was still witch elves, but it was a way more like dynamic and um it was just it was just like god damn this is <laughs> this is really fun writing um and uh, you know i they're on the reddit um one of the most easily probably the one of the uh, right now a lot of the total war fans are feverishly foaming at the mouth over these large areas we have on the map that are covered in fog of war and you can't go into uh, yeah hey. you know like, let us in. let us in and there's a <laughs> yeah you know there's and there's this uh, there's this group of writers and artists who are from uh, a collection of different nations in Southeast Asia who have been doing their own fan project on how do they envision Koresh? And it's, Mm -hmm. it's amazing. Like they've been writing their own lore. They do their own art and the creatures they create are nightmarish, but also they're fascinating. And learning like Mm -hmm. the creatures that they have in their own mythology of like, man, y'all had some scary stuff to be scared of over there. Apparently, um, but it's just it's so much better than anything that i think anyone from over in the west would have thought of on their own of like oh snake man okay and they're over there go well what if what if instead of just snake man we had like these like horrific like large creatures that use like all these really weird uh, physical technologies to create these monsters that have like these bizarre internal structures showing or like they're missing like their head isn't attached and so they've got like this weird other system and you're like Oh, that's really cool. And we never would have thought of that. Um, It's it's
1: beautiful. I don't just agree. I strongly support that as a general creative um, outlet, largely because I'll give an example. Um, I work quite a bit with um, Graham Davis. Now, depending upon your Warhammer lore, Graham Davis created much of what we understand to be modern day Warhammer all the way back, first edition. Warhammer Fantasy roleplay, he was eventually the chap who produced that entire line. And he created Shadows Over Burgenhafen, for example, a very famous adventure for that game. And he created much of what the modern empire was. And we were discussing um, one of his books that he had built regarding Scandinavia and various other places. And his book was largely built from research, because that's what you do. Um, and his was particularly detailed in the areas that he himself had grown up with because it not only fascinated him, he grew up with it. He knew it. And as we were discussing it, I dropped in some details from where I'm from. Now, I'm from the very north of Scotland. You can't go much further north without swimming. In fact, you can't. I lived in a lighthouse up there in the middle of nowhere. Um, oh. <laughs> and yeah, pretty much. Uh, if you had a, a telescope that could see around Benge you would see Iceland and then just pure ice um, from where I used to live. Mm. But no, it's just empty water. And uh, up there, there's all manner of Viking um, artifacts and stories and old ghost stories, none of which are recorded in books. And these are the things I grew up with. Right. And those were the details that his book was missing because he'd not heard of any of those. I gave some alternative spellings for things, different ways things could be expressed. And he was like, oh, that's all really good. Some of the, some of the stuff is stuff I could have used for this, that, and the other. And we talked that out and it was awesome but it just reaffirmed to both of us how important it was to get people from the areas that you are discussing to be involved with the project. So if you are, for example, creating a Lizardman book, you don't just do it with old white dudes. You get people who have lived there, grown up with similar cultures, who have got stories that are redolent with detail that you might never have thought of because all you're doing is book learning and repeating, regurgitating and twisting where they're coming at it and going, There's this cool thing I grew up with and there's this other thing. And my friend has told me this and couldn't we pull that in? And you're just left going, this sounds fucking easy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, And it's those, it's that color that you will not otherwise get if you're doing it purely from a book um, learning perspective. So yeah. Awesome. Yeah, bring well, in it, bring in the teams and make them really right. cool
0: and broad. Yeah, and it's like it's that part of the thing of like if you go back and look at old school lizardmen it's it's a lot of like it's a lot of puns. And that kind of seems to be kind of like uh the hardest teeny weeny. thing. They're like, yeah, we got itsy teeny wincy. we got itsy bitsy, we got uh Lord uh, Chili Peppa, like we're really we're going hard <laughs> here. <laughs> and you're like you're like, ooh. <laughs> um but like you look at the new Lustria book that just came out, and it's just dripping with all this amazing stuff, and like I like, I and I'm chilling uh, for, um, I hired a GM that I've learned about who's a very prolific GM, and he's from Peru. And I was like, hey, would you mind running, like, a Lustria campaign for us? And he's like, yeah. He's like, Can, you mind if I take, like, kind of my own Peruvian heritage and stuff and kind of mix things in? He's like, please, please do. Yeah. <laughs> Um, those are going to be on Thursdays for anyone in chat that wants to watch those. Uh, we will live stream them, but, um, it's it's so like super excited to get into that of like, not only really embracing, cause I've as being a, like Lizardman, you know, lore master, Sotek, Lizardman, were kind of my bread and butter Uh, growing up uh. (laughs) and, uh, um, I've I've had these really beautiful letters sent to me and uh, messages from people in Peru and Argentina and Brazil and all these countries who say, hey, like, you know, we love your work and like just being able to see like um, like expressions of Nahuatl or uh, Peruvian or like all these different cultures expressed. Like yeah, sure they're dinosaur guys, but they're really fucking badass dinosaur guys with laser beams so and all stuff. Are. And they're the you know, and they're like we're the good guys. Like sure we're spooky, but like you know we're the we're the custodians of the planet and kicking chaos's ass around the globe. And it's like, man, and they they're just these beautiful messages we don't get to be in anything. You know, like, people, you know, either they learn about us uh, or they, they never hear about it. But because of the Lizardmen, it's like, oh, this is so popular. Why don't we have more of these kinds of designs in other fantasy universes? Or just even historically... You know, I know a lot of people who get into Warhammer and then they end up becoming very big historians like they end up going into archaeology or other historical careers, which I don't I don't know if you uh, you guys that have written all this know how much y'all have inspired, like literally an entire generation after y'all to go into all of these like historical based (laughs) careers or writing careers because they read these things that I want to go find that shit.
1: It's funny. Most of us come from that sort of background, whether it's writing or history. Graham Davis, who I mentioned before, um, he came from an archaeological background. Um, mm. uh, me and Andy, who do a lot of writing here, we we both studied English. Um, but yeah, it's yeah, it's it's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> and and, yeah,
0: we're so glad you do it. Um, so, g- getting back towards uh, actual Warhammer lore stuff, um, mm-hmm. uh, and. So one of the things that I was the most amazed about, I, I will never forget when I got my hands on Warhammer 4th edition roleplay for the first time because I was so confused right at the start because I opened the book. I was so excited. I opened it. I started reading the Empire lore and I was like, I don't, what, what is this? Like, I don't recognize, like, there's all these provinces I don't know and there's all these elector counts I don't know. What is going on here? And I remember I I had a friend who was like, so what do you think of the book? And I was like, I mean, I liked it, but like, I don't, I don't understand like this isn't the empire i know this is this weird empire i've never heard about and i was like i'll kind of put it off to the side and come back to it later um and then like and you know i carried on playing second edition for a while and then the enemy within series started coming out and a friend of mine was like hey man did you read about this like really cool development that happened in this book about and like oh i saw mary's leaddorf show up and i'm like whoa whoa and so i started buying all these books and reading and seeing how it's all of a sudden this bridge connecting the old lore to the more modern lore and it was like holy fuck like jesus <laughs> it literally went yeah out that was and, the plan it literally went about all of it that day like I don't want to talk about how much money i spent but but, but just <laughs> bought the whole thing so i have to what is how was the process of looking at okay we've got this old enemy within story that we really want to bring forward and then we've got this endpoint. let's like right was that but difficult <laughs>
1: Yes, Um, and uh, it was. (laughs) So this was my goal right from the outset. When I was very first contacted about the fourth edition of Warhammer, it hadn't been written, it wasn't anywhere. They were halfway through developing a system. And they contacted me because I had been highlighted to them as someone that had been the deep lore guy in the second edition, and I was known to a few of them. They contacted and said, hi. We are doing this, have you got any recommendations as to what you would do if you were building a 4th edition of the game? Um, and by the way, we intend to release the Enemy Within. Um, so my very first response was, well if you are doing that, the Enemy Within is enormously different to the Warhammer that was presented. Let's go right, heart back to the earlier discussion from before, the 1992 Empire Army List, which rewrote the Empire from the 1st edition. We have a unique opportunity here where you could make it all the same setting. As I say, it's always been my goal to try and take all of those disparate sources and make sense of them. So why don't you, if you're in a position now where you're redoing the Enemy Within, instead of just rewriting it and making it fit the 8th edition version of the background from Warhammer, why not leave it with the first edition of Warhammer and have the events of the Enemy Within create 8th Edition? So you can use that campaign to go from one version of the Empire into a completely new version of the Empire. Because we know that it's a constantly shifting set of provinces and city-states and grand provinces, and they all work in a variety of different ways. It'll make the setting feel more dynamic. It'll make everything feel like a more real place rather than 1,000 years' worth of gunpowder. Um, This will feel like it's something that's constantly shifting and moving, and you can tell a really cool story with that. Mm -hmm. And they were like, yeah, that sounds freaking awesome. Yeah, let's go away and think about that. So they went away. Um, I gave them a whole bunch of other stuff about how I organise the rules as well, because I'm also Games inside. Um And that um, all went down. Is there anything uh, you I got don't con- do? <laughs> no, no, I, I, there's a reason I'm a hat with an entire rainbow on it, beyond just good, good old pride reasons. Um, I, I will wear every hat and I'm happy with almost any job. I've done everything from sales (laughs) to direct sales to writing to art to cartography. Yeah, see, Chad, this Um, is what I
0: want to be when I grow up. I I don't think I'm ever going to get there, but this is...
1: (laughs) Uh, For example, in in second edition, I'm credited as a developer of um, one of the books. I'm a proofreader on a few books. I'm an artist on some of the books. I'm a cartographer on about three quarters of the books. I'm a writer on about five or six of the books. Um, I've literally done every job you can do in there. Um, so that's why they contacted me for the fourth edition. Uh, they contacted again about two months after that. They hadn't made a great deal of progress in terms of the system uh, or where they were. And at that point, they were far more of a, you have all of these ideas, uh, how, how do we best incorporate them? Can you nail that down? In the end, they hired me to do it. <laughs> um, so I sat down and I, I nailed it all out. And it's not long after the rulebook was completed. Um, the, I was employed to just run the light. And I got in contact with Graham Davis, whom I mentioned before. Graham Davis is doing the, let's say, special edition of the Enemy Within. And he, we had a big discussion. Every week we would be chatting about what we could do with it. And when he was brought on, he was brought on to just basically update it for whatever the new edition of the game was. And that was it. Okay. That was it. So it was going to be The Original Enemy Within, but The Original Enemy Within City States with two different books at the end that he was going to write. One of which was going to be The Horned Rat, the second of which we hadn't even named at that point. The reason we chose The Horned Rat is because The Horned Rat as a book was originally advertised in White Dwarf way back. We're talking back when the very first edition realms of Chaos books hadn't yet been released. So far back that they hadn't even reached three numbers for white dwarf numbers at that point. Um, (laughs) They were in still double digits. And they're saying the Horde Rat is coming soon. It never came. Um, It is by far the book that has had the longest running advert before eventually it was released. (laughs) Um, All the way back from like the the late 80s all the way up to 2000 and whatever it was, 20 or something it was released on. (laughs) Um, Super fun. Um, so I sat down with Graham and I said, Look, Graham, I've got this idea. Why don't we go much further than you intended and create a Warhammer Enemy Within for everybody? Not just for the first edition fans who will dwell in their nostalgia, but for Warhammer 8 fans as well who will look at it and see the end of it and go, What's oh, my empire? Awesome! <laughs> Um, uh, people who sat in between and weren't really sure, newbies who come along will have no idea that it's different between the two, so it'll be cool for them too. So we'll be able to get new people, old people of different stripes and pull them all together underneath one, hopefully, banner setting that is Warhammer. And Graham was like, "That, that's perfect. I've always wanted to do that. That's great. Mm-hmm. I was never happy with how things were rewritten and changed because he watched all of his material become something completely new because he wrote the empire as it was before, the one that was presented in the book that you went, I'm not sure what empire that is. That's the empire Graham created. Um, And he was like, I've never been happy with the fact that we wrote it. Not that I didn't think it was cool. It's just that it felt like they were overwriting my work, but instead this will incorporate my work. This Mm -hmm. will make it all one part of a seamless whole. This is great. And we, we really enjoyed nailing it all down into place. And effectively creating a plot that by the end of the enemy then if you played it and the pcs went down the most obvious routes that the empire at the end of it would be the same as warhammer 8. um i pitched that to games workshop after i finished pitching it to uh, graham graham was 100 percent behind it there wasn't even the slightest hesitation he was like this is the best um i then <laughs> pitched it to games workshop and i said look um Uh, this is what you've been pitched already, which was the original Enemy Within, but for the new edition of the game, I don't think that's sufficient. I think it needs to incorporate everything and make Warhammer 8 so that by the end of that particular run of books, it is exactly pairing up in line with the most recent edition of Warhammer. Um, And I got unsurprisingly enormous thumbs up from Games Workshop. Right. Um, They were like... (laughs) Oh yeah, yeah. Um, and we, we we emailed back and forth a little bit about how best to um, nail that uh, into practice. They had some ideas, I had some ideas, it was all super exciting. <laughs> um, uh, so what ended up being the case was that Graham did the initial treatments and then I updated it so we did all the bridging work.
0: Okay.
1: Um, uh, so he, he started building all the struts and then I built the bridge, so to speak. And that was my job. Um, his job was to make sure the adventure in place. My job was to make sure that the adventure worked added in extra detail, um, cre- uh, ensured that there was space for things like, not just Marius Lightor, but in the first drafts, we also had characters from, <laughs> we also had characters from Fat Shark's game, from Vermintide, um, popping right. in. Um, well, Fat Shark are the best people in the world, by the way. Um, when we were building the War of Fantasy Roleplay starter set, I was talking to them all the time, because the starter set for War of Fantasy Roleplay is set in Uber's yeah. It's set in Reich 10 years before the Skaven Invade.
0: I cannot tell you, I when I first got my hands on that, and I opened it, I was like, Hey, that's the Red Moon Inn! Hey, that's what yeah, yeah. it's like. It's like all these characters are popping up. It's like, oh, this is sick!
1: <laughs> yeah, it was super fun. And um, in the starter set, there's a half page illustration beside the Rat Catchers Guild. Um, and the four people in that are four staff members from Fat Shark. Um, yes! Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because um, I wrote them in as the Guildmaster, um, and it's their actual names. Um, the Guildmaster, because they've got super Warhammer names, they're just the best. Um, the Guildmaster of the uh, Rat Catchers and the various other Rat Catchers there, and they were all Staff and Fat Shark because they had just been the best. I got sent over a developer um, set of code for Vermintide, which allowed me to fly, which was freaking awesome. Um, <laughs> so... You'd obviously play the game and kill more rats than you could possibly imagine with whatever weapons you had to hand. Um, But then I could just take off and fly up and go, right, so this is what their version of Uber's right looks like, interesting. Um, But for our version of Uber's right, we had to ensure that much like I always did with everything with Warhammer, incorporated everything. Their version of Uber's Reich had taken a lot from the third edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay, Red Moon Inn, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, and they'd added some extra details, but they'd missed out a couple of the details that were in third edition, but they'd also missed out a couple of details that were elsewhere. Um, so I thought it was important to ensure they were incorporated. So that's where Blackrock Castle came in and popped back up again. enormous Fortification off to the side of um, Uber's Reich, which wasn't really a focus or a part of the Vermintide games, nor is it mentioned in any of their maps. Um, but... That's an example of making sure you include everything when you uh, Uh try to collate everything together. And generally speaking, the role-play game is the best place to put it because that means any other game that comes along and go, well, these are the bits that work for us and take it. And so they miss bits out. Whatever. There's so many different versions of Warhammer now. I don't think anyone minds that much. Yeah. Um, I mean, Warhammer, the, the Total War game takes characters from across time almost and throws them down together.
0: Yeah, I d I, I can't tell how many times there's someone's like, so uh what's what's the canonicity of this game? It's like let's okay, let's let's be careful with that word. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a dangerous word in these parts. <laughs> is it
1: a part of is it a part of Games Workshop's canon? Yes. Yeah. As in the canon of work, the collected work that they have, absolutely. Does it marry well with the rest of the work? Yeah. Yes, in some places, really well.
0: In yeah. others? <laughs>
1: <laughs> Let's do a little dance. Let's just, just, yeah, you just blur the lines a little bit, it's fine. Um, yeah, yeah, totally. I, it, they've got their own needs for their game, and they've chosen the best material for their game. And I, I don't just not begrudge them that, I applaud them for doing that, for having the creativity to go beyond the lines that were already set and defined by other writers. And realizing where those lines were useful to stay inside and in other points where they were useful to transgress and change for the need of the game and the awesome experience they were building. Because each game has got its own requirements. And Warhammer is ultimately, and I I dare, I barely, it's made up. (laughs) What? (laughs) No. I can't believe I'm saying this. But it's, it's just all made up. Um, so it's, it's, it's fine for some people to contradict it. Me, I can't because of the way that my brain works. I'm like, I won't contradict. I will make it all work. But it's, <laughs> I, I don't just appreciate that other people can and will overwrite that. I hope they do because often they come out with far cooler stuff. Again, Kislev is a fine example of that. Look at what the studio did. And then after the studio had done its first treatments, what Total War did with it, it's uh, it's leagues beyond what was set up with uh, Realm of the Ice Queen, but without Realm of the Ice Queen, it wouldn't have got there. Basically, everybody is standing on everybody else's shoulders and creating something cooler and more awesome with each new height, it's it's great. Right, well, and they do such a good job of like, you you could see there are
0: connecting threads nowadays from people being like, okay, while we are inspired by this and we're ending up somewhere different, let's try and make it make sense where they didn't just come in and go, ah, here's Tsar Boris and Katarin at the same time. Don't worry about it. They're like, no, no, no. Okay, there's a quest battle about how Tsar Boris did die, but he got frozen and Kislev kept him preserved and he's actually secretly alive. And he's he's been in a Superman healing coma. Don't worry about it. Go break him out of the oh, eyes. And um, you can, yeah, you, now, now you can play him. Great, he's awesome. Um, And he realizes going home would be bad for politics. So he's going to just go kick chaos around for a while.
1: Um, as you do.
0: Yeah, as you do. And it's, and they there's all this amazing stuff of like the great orthodoxy makes sense. Like did it exist in Realm the ice queen? No, but it it is a sensible development on Boris being like, okay, Kislev has been in a really crappy state since the great war and chaos keeps infiltrating us through these really weird little rituals we have with all our gods. They keep pretending to be our gods, So I'm going to make a formalized religion, but then he dies and now Kostalton's taken over and Kostalton's a little, (laughs) Kostalton's a little odd. Um, yeah, he's, he's a little more power hungry. And, um, it's, it's like, it just works. It works really well. And like, it's like, would, if they explore that going forward, is it going to be the exact same as Total War portrayed it? Well, probably not because Total War is like trying to make sure, well, how can we make it where these factions can declare war on each other? And it kind of makes sense. Um, it's broad brush strokes.
1: Right. Um, they're not, they're not drilling into the tiny detail with a tiny little detail brush with Citadel written on it. What they're using is a big, huge spray and spraying out the primary colors. When you stand back, stand back, you go, that's fucking Warhammer. But when you get close, you realize there's lots of spray marks and the roleplay game tends to come in and go, how can we add all the detail here? How can we put some flex in the eyes and make the, the eyes really shine? What can we do here mm. to make sense of this big, huge, what appears to be a cloak, but it's just a big purple mass. We now need to turn this into something. And then the detail is added because the role-playing, they're big books and they're filled with fun details that games, uh, games masters can use. And yeah, each each game has got its own need um, and its own restrictions, because games like Total War completely restricted by not only the gameplay, but what the tech can actually manage to do, right? Um, and and what their level designs allow, and what they need for that game, and they'll create stories to make sense of not just the need for the character, for example. Tsar Boris, but the need for the tech. Okay, how many units can they get? Exactly what is gonna be presented on the battlefield this day? What sort of backgrounds can we do? Are we gonna have sieges? We're not gonna have sieges. How are you gonna get from this place to this place? Um, What is it all gonna look like? And do we have enough, let's say, time to put that all into place? If the answer is no, then clearly their buildings look like this. Mm. Um, And they make decisions that are based on more than just the words, where on the role-playing side, 100% the words. Yeah, Um, it it defines everything, even the pictures to a degree, because often, particularly in the role play game, the words come first and the arts commissioned after. OK, that's not always the case with video games where often concept art might come first. Okay. and then the words, the words make sense of all the concept art because it's so fucking cool that allows the artist an enormous amount of freedom um, because they can just look at all the cool stuff and go, hey, I want to draw that cool stuff. And then the writer comes in after and goes, what the hell is that? <laughs> well, yeah. it's big. Um, we're going to have to figure out how this works. Uh, um, so it works differently in computer games and sometimes works differently for the studio as well. They often art first, right after. Mm. Where the role-playing game, it's write first, art after. So very different requirements in terms of what can and can't be done.
0: Yeah, and and there I've seen some really cool things about that, uh, especially when it comes to the Total War Warhammer series. Like you have situations like when they were making Grand Cathay, you have like you know there's an artist that's like, ah, okay, I know we've got like the Terracotta Army from history. What if I made a really big one, like just a huge Terracotta guy? And this is kind of what he looks like. And the writer walks in is like, ah, all right, I guess I can make this work. (laughs) And they do. Like it's like, oh, okay, these are like functioning pieces of the Great Bastion that have broken off to kill things. Very cool, brunch, brunch.
1: Yeah, totally awesome. Uh,
0: so um, one of the things I wanted to ask about because I I hear a, so my GM in my Sunday games, which is not a stream game, it's a just a personal series. Um, I, my GM for that is amazing, and he is he's definitely one of those individuals that like he reads he like he's in all the little forums and discord threads and all the unofficial faqs and all stuff because uh for anyone that doesn't know there's a lot of the writers for uh or uh all the different cubicle seven stuff have yes <laughs> especially Mr. i have Lawyer. done
1: an enormous amount of FAQ. yeah have I've, answered I've over 300 questions answered
0: yeah answered so many questions and one of the things y'all talk a lot about is like oh we had all these really cool things but like there's only so many pages and some there's, I'm there's some probably poor bastard whose job ultimately is to be like, okay, I understand this is cool, but like, <laughs> um, how do you, how do you navigate those waters of being like, okay, I'm going to give you 250 pages. I understand you have a thousand pages worth of cool stuff, but you got to break it down to 250 pages.
1: Planning. That's it. It's planning. Um, you've got a book, you know how many pages it's going to be approximately, you plan it out, you plan out each section, you know exactly what you're going to put in it, then you commission someone to write it and you tell them to write within that particular framework. Away they go, they do it. There may have been other things you might have wanted to include, but right from the outset, you know what you're going to do. Um, I cannot recommend planning enough. Mm. I'm a constant planner and there's a reason i'm a planner It's because i like spiraling off into lots of different directions dropping into cul-de-sacs of awesome for example the harmony of the spheres um and those are the bits that i will add after the books are written um when all the little spaces have popped up in the layout and you're like well i've got a little half page i can film something awesome here Mm -hmm. Excellent. Um, and that's when um, those little extras are often spun up and that was a part of my job as the overall producer. I would come in afterwards and fill up all these little gaps um, with things like the harmony of the spheres. Mm. Uh, good times. Um, but uh, for all there is an absolute plethora of potential material that could be added, you can't particularly on a role-playing book, you've got a limit to how many pages that you've got, you've got a limit to your type size, how much art you'd going really to put in, whatever else it may be, and you plan it out from the outset. Um, having said that, uh, I find Warhammer writing, to go back to an earlier question, um, how do you do it? Mm. Warhammer writing for me um, is, this is something we discuss a lot at this end, as in my end with the Rookery and the people I tend to work with here, Um, particularly when it comes to Warhammer, because we're about to stream a Warhammer game. And hopefully you'll understand a bit more once we streamed our game what I'm talking about here. For us, writing Warhammer, um, because three of the people that are going to be in the stream game have written for the game, um, is not creating stuff. In some respects, it's remembering it. Mm. Because we've been playing Warhammer for about... When was it released? I was about to say. That long. Yeah, I was about to say, I can, I can, I can answer it. You're not going to like the answer though. <laughs> it's that long. Let's let's not use numbers here. Okay. Because um, I'm a lot older than I like to admit. But when Wiber Fantasy Roleplay first edition came out, I bought it. The very first copy of the second edition that came out was released in Edinburgh and I bought it. So I bought the very first retail copy. And um, I bought pretty much every edition as it's come out and I played it. death. Um, It's one of the reasons why I enjoy the game so much, because I play them again and again and again and again. As of my players, as of some of the people who've written on the game. And for them, they don't go, right, what cool things are we going to put into Altdorf? What things can we do that really, really, really epitomizes Altdorf? Instead they go, well, we've got about 500 locations that we already know are in Altdorf, because we've lived in that city for the last 20 years. Mm. We know Altdorf. We know all of its politics. We know all of its guilds. We know all of its streets. We know its bridges, its islands. We know Altdorf. The question is, which ones do we not use? And it's a matter of whittling it down to the ones that best represent the politics that best represent the overall picture of the city that you're presenting that day. Now, depending on your size of Altdorf will depend upon the sort of stories that you tell. Altdorf has, over the course of time with King's Workshop, been presented at multiple different sizes. First edition, it had a city that was 15,000 people. That's barely the size of some armies that modern Warhammer uses. Um, we then moved to second edition, which had a city of 105,000 people. Um, that's off the top of my head. I think I'm right with that, 105,000 people. Um, But again, I remember discussing this with the studio when I went down, I said, look, we've got an Altdorf book coming up, Um, I'm planning it out right now, how big do I go? Because Altdorf is for Warhammer, their equivalent of Rome, it's their Constantinople. Mm -hmm. It It is their big center of all population in their equivalent of an old world, an old Europe. They don't have Rome or Constantinople. It's a completely different uh, framework, a completely different setup. The Empire is by far the most powerful nation in the old world. Mm -hmm. Significantly so. There's only one city that's definitely bigger and that's Marienburg. How big do I make Altdorf? And they were like, well, and I was like, here's my pitch. Um, And I laid out how big it had been in various novels. I laid out how big it had been for various games and importantly, how big some of the armies had been. And uh, we eventually landed on a city that was much like any of the biggest classical cities, about a million people. It's a proper enormous city. Right. Um, And we said, right, that's probably how big Altdorf is. But that's so different to what we had before. Do we want to contradict it? Do we want to add hard numbers? Or do we want to just use vague language? Huge city, center of population, you know, that sort of stuff. Mm. Um, And by the time I left the production job, um, Games Workshop were very much of the opinion, no, it's Freaking huge. Right. Um, this is the this is where freaking Karl Franz himself is doing his thing. And the city-state of Altdorf, um the surrounding lands and Altdorf itself are enormous, and that's what we want to have represented. And I was like, Yep, sounds great. And that's what I was writing to, and it's very much what my version of Altdorf in my head is. Right. Inevitably, though, as I move on, other writers move in and they've got different views. And that's always going to be the case whenever someone new comes on, much like Kislev, was rewritten in a different way. Mm. Uh, religion was re-examined. The sort of troops that they had were re-examined. And that's brilliant because new minds come in and add extra detail. Um, there was a reason that I was going off in all this. What was it? <laughs> Altdorf, it's big. There was a reason yeah. I was um, drilling down in Altdorf, though.
0: Uh, you know, my brain was already moving on to like, oh, I want to ask about this, 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 this. So, <laughs> yeah, totally. <Let's> move on. <laughs> Maybe someone in chat will know. <laughs> uh, I'll, I'll keep an <laughs> eye. Maybe one of them will be like, this is where y'all were going with that particular. This thread. is,
1: well, in fact, no. This is why I need a plan. That's why. And in fact, this <laughs> yeah. epitomizes why I use plans because my brain spirals off in new lines of thought, coming up with cool new stuff we could add. Which means, right at the outset, I can't say here's my book with five million things. I'll write a very tight plan. I'll choose the locations that best describe the city. And then I will nail that in place. And that's what we write. So that's how we choose it. And I think that forgetting what we were talking about explains exactly why I yeah, do that.
0: Uh, yeah, that, yeah, <laughs> yeah, that seems to match up with what chat was saying. Okay, I think we were relatively still on topic there. <laughs> um, <laughs> so um, one quick question I want to ask, because I'll forget if I don't ask it now. I have to ask this. Carl Franz is, like, yes. for, for someone that, like, really loves the lore and likes to really study it, he's, like, weirdly one of the most central figures to Warhammer Fantasy lore that is also very mysterious. Like, there's mm-hmm. never been, like, a book directly about him. Like, he shows up in a lot of books, especially, like, when they did the 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 um, Swords of the Emperor. You know, he plays kind of a major yeah, role yeah. in that story about Kurt Helborg and Ludwig Schwarzhelm, But he's, like... He's this weird figure and granted a lot of that is due to the different interpretations where you've got like the old version where he seems to be much, much older um, and he has like a full family and he's got kids and all this stuff and then you had like the 8th edition version where it almost seems implied that he's not married and he's just running around kicking ass in in his 40s Um, and I've always wanted to ask, it seems like Games Workshop has always been kind of scared to really peg him down because even when uh, when they released the Altdorf book for Cubicle 7. We don't actually get the Carl Franz in that book. We get his double. Um, but I don't think he has like an actual
1: profile in the in the right. art so, book. So <laughs> you're not wrong. Um at various points there uh was discussions about pinning it down. I was going to pin him down when I was doing the outdoor book, but I left before we did. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's because the version of the Empire that I was going to present is not the version that uh, the enemy would have eventually presented. They went down a slightly different route because I'd left. They didn't have all my stuff, so of course they're going in a different direction mm. because they've got different minds coming in doing cool new stuff and adding a completely different view. Um, Karl Franz, I remember back in 2nd edition when we were discussing it, Karl Franz was a sore point, um, and it was a tender point because Karl Franz had been so heavily changed between 1st edition and 2nd edition. One thing that you may not be aware of, particularly if in 2005, you were not playing games, workshop games, um, like, say, Fantasy i Roleplay. I was
0: technically, but I was also... <laughs> I started when I was 10 years old <laughs> in
1: 2001. So I'll give you an example of what the world was like back then. Let me take you back Please. to the heady years of 2005 when Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 2nd Edition has just released. And this is the first time that real in detail work is beginning to get done in the Warhammer world again since the first edition of the role-playing game. There have been lots of broad brushstrokes with the battle game. So you've got yourself army books that discuss a unit over a page, but they don't discuss where they get their food from. Mm. They don't discuss society. They don't discuss the individual factions and how they're constantly at each other's throats. Beyond the biggest stuff like, you know, Malekith hates this person, bump, bump, bump. (laughs) Um, We're talking top or top level stuff. We're not talking Mm -hmm. about how dark elves live on a night by night basis um, inside say Nagaroth in some place or another, and Mm -hmm. wherever you may choose like Haggrave or whatever. Um, So that's not discussed. And they were coming in for the first time and there was already before the game was released an enormous amount of concern because all the first edition fans wanted to see their version of Warhammer brought back to life. But Games Workshop's a version of Warhammer by that point had Karl Franz riding a griffin, as we mentioned all the way at the beginning. As far as most of them were concerned, Heinrich Tordbringer, a Tordbringer from Mittenheim should probably be Emperor, not Karl Franz. Because that's loosely where the enemy then went with its first edition. That's what everybody expected. Mm. He effectively was in the first edition of the game. Spoiler alert. I'll give you a moment. But he was Sigmar Reborn. Man. Wow. Okay. Concerning that from, uh,
0: from like my understanding's perspective,
1: that is wild to hear. Utterly wild, um, given where it went. And that was the world that most first edition fans expected. If anything, they expected to find Heinrich Torbringer sitting on that griffin. Mm. That would have made sense to them. Heinrich Torbringer, six foot seven, six foot eight, a giant bear of a young man. He's Sigmar Reborn of the direct line of Sigmar. Quite literally, his ultimate descendant. That's what they expected. They didn't get that. And the war began. (laughs) I cannot express to you what the Black Industries forums, Black Industries were the imprint of Black Library that dealt with the role-playing games, Mm. what the Black Industry forums were like. I was a moderator there way, way, way back in the day. It was my job. It was my job to try and calm down that war. (laughs) As might I say, um, I was under the moniker Sigmar back in those days um, because I I had my own ID, but I also had my moderating Sigmar ID, which came in Mm. with a big hammer and went bong and hit people in the head when they'd gone too far. Um, And the edition wars between first and edition were extraordinary, ranging from simple stuff like Carl Franz, should it have a dash? (laughs) <laughs> is it Carl Franz or is it, Car- is it the Franz family or is his name's Carl Franz? In truth, his name is, he's from the Hoswick Schliesten house. Right. His last name isn't Franz. He doesn't have a last name. In the same way that King Charles doesn't have a last name, he's mm-hmm. from the house of Windsor. He literally doesn't have a, la- he's not from the Franz family. Or is he? <laughs> because some books said that he was, mm-hmm. and that got super complicated, particularly because Fantasy Roleplay 2 said the Franz family yikes <laughs> dun, dun, dun. Dude, a whole from the sky there, there was troops marching into the forum saying how dare you he's from this household it's this that <laughs> and the other um, and, and as we all know we can get rather passionate about our lore mm. um, and if somebody comes along mm. and rewrites it they get very upset particularly if it's lore that they themselves have used say for example for an army that they've collected and they've put a particular sigil in all their shields and then they're told, yeah, that doesn't exist anymore. We all know how upset we can get about that sort of
0: stuff. Mm.
1: Um, It was that to the nth degree, because it rewrote everything and brought it up to date to Warhammer, what was then, I think, 7th edition, maybe? Storm of Chaos time, maybe even end of 6th. I think it was Uh, 7th. End of 6th, I think. Uh, Possibly. Um, Storm of Chaos time anyway, because it was just after Storm of Chaos that it Mm. was released with a big, massive campaign, summer campaign, Storm of Chaos. Um, And That was a supremely difficult time. Games Workshop uh, were obviously concerned, particularly Black Library, um, because they were the ones having to deal with it all. Um, Karl Franz was pretty much the banner issue because it was him, Griffin riding emperor, not very good emperor. Mm. Diplomatic whiz kid who can rule the world, kind of pathetic, not very good at his job. Uh. Yeah,
0: I they think they are I, I, very,
1: very different. People. I think
0: in seventh and eighth edition, he's described as the greatest statesman in the world.
1: <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Um, and then they they kept on layering it on. Um, and with each edition, uh, he inflated a bit further until he yeah. reached the point where he was so bloated with all the awesome that he could do. He was effectively a walking god, which yeah. is eventually, to a degree, what they did with him when yeah, they end. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> pretty much went, you know, all those things we sort of said, well, they're true now. He's a yeah, awesome. Yeah. Um, and that it became a sore point a mm. real sore point point. and as new editions came along the same people were often involved with the creation of the material and they often went let's just not cover that because we're just going to upset someone mm. let's just not do that but i was never that guy ever i'm always like uh, let's confront it straight on i'll give a single example of that um in of fantasy roleplay 4 there is a games master screen it's a very simple thing. It's, it's so useful. You have, all
0: the little you stuff hide on the
1: behind, <laughs> Yeah, You hide behind as a GM and you're just sitting there going, Whoa, ho, ho, ho. and there's mm. a big picture on that, a four-panel piece um, of uh, Warhammer City uh, with all manner of folk running around. It was stitched together by an artist called Sam Manley. Sam's ace. Um, he's one of the in-house artists um, over at Google
0: Yeah, so. I follow him on Twitter. His stuff is yeah,
1: yeah, so good. Sam's awesome. Um, and it was a bunch of individual pieces that had been created to be backdrops. Um, they had no people on it, and we needed to get ourselves a big image, a really big image, for the GM screen, because it can't be a small one. And we decided we wanted to have this really big thing stitched together. So Sam started filling in all the details. So he started putting all the little people in, um, and he had a little ping over, and he said, so what exactly am I going to put on this? And I was like, well, we want everything. So I want literally anything that could pop up, popped in there somewhere, because that would be fun. I want mm. to have all the NPCs that be been mentioned in the starter set, um, the characters from that, so we can have those six pre-generated characters on there somewhere. So if anyone's actually playing the starter set, they can find their own character sitting on the screen in front of them. Cause that's kind of fun. Let's do that. Mm. Um, and I also want to have two gyrocopters and two Griffin riders. And he was like, oh, that's going to upset some people. And that's <laughs> the problem. That's mm. the problem that a lot of the writers were facing. You don't want to upset your fan base. You don't want to alienate one part or meet one part. But I was like, no. George helicopters are not just a standard part of the background, they have been for 30 years! Right. I want them on the bloody box. I, d- I want it front and centre and I want Griffin riders on it and two of them, not one. I don't want it to make it look like it's something that might have occurred once in a blue moon. I- two of them up there. Mm. And Sam was like, damn right. And away Sam went. <laughs> <laughs> and Sam was super excited. Um, we loved the images, it was done. Good couple of Gryphon Riders up there. We looked at it, we get, yeah, yeah that, that, that's it. Now mm. we look more like Warhammer. Where beforehand it looked almost like a, it's almost like it's a pastiche of Warhammer. It's a It's a version. And right. that's not what we wanted the roleplay game to be. We don't want it to be the down and dirty version of Warhammer where all those stuff that happened in the big battle games is kind of glossed over. In the same way that the big battle game is all those stuff that happens down in the down dirty, we gloss over that. I was like, no, this is Warhammer fantasy roleplay, not just that grubby bit fantasy roleplay. So I want to mm-hmm. make sure that they're in there too. It's one of the reasons why all of our careers don't just focus on low tier stuff. Um, right. So uh, every other edition of fantasy roleplay before the current edition, focused on all the low tier stuff with a few high tier things. In this version, every low tier thing has a high tier thing it ends at. There is as many basic stuff as there is top tier stuff. Um, And it's completely equalized across the board. So no matter what version of Warhammer you play, if you're playing a sword and sorcery, epic hammer-boshing version of Warhammer Quest like the computer game or the old board game, rather than the new Age of Sigmar, the older one. uh, But it's all swing your hammers and kicking living crap out of goblins down tunnels you've got everything you need to do that. But if yours yeah. is a down and gritty, investigative um, version of Warhammer where you're going through the, the dark streets and occasionally encountering something awful, that can also be covered. It's a it's meant to encompass all opportunities that the game should present, not just a single version. And that's why, for example, gyrocopters and griffins were added. And it's also why, to agree, Carl Franz is often, and some other situations like him, Put to the wayside because there's a certain amount of sensitivity amongst some creators that they might pin down something that upsets large parts and makes it more likely you'll get yourself a negative review online.
0: That's so interesting to hear because um, I, when I, um, it's it's an old video now and is desperate need of uh, uh, updates because like the thing that I guess I'm like famous for is. I literally will like pick a character or a theme and I will go through my library of every book I could possibly get my hands on and try and weave it all together to make, make sense, you know, make it into a story. Mm-hmm. And the Carl Franz one was wild even before fourth edition came out. Um, yep. And like, there was an interesting story because there was a lot of kind of like, eighth edition really threw in a lot of weird threads to kind of try and tie his story in with a lot of the other races where they were like this whole thing of like, Oh, when he was a baby, he was attacked by beastmen and The wood elf saved him for some reason. What happened? there? Yeah. And like, Oh, he's fought side by side with Orion. And you're like, wow. Okay. <laughs> you know, and, uh, all this stuff. And, uh, but like looking at the <laughs> modern stuff now, it's like, I, I cannot wait to redo that script of tying cuz fourth edition like for for what I do especially fourth edition has been such a godsend of like like it, it's nightmarish as far as like the workload but it's beautiful as far as taking all these different things of cuz the the thing I used to dread the most whenever I would like live stream or interact with people would some be someone be like hey what about this thing and I'd be ah, like Warcraft oh okay what is he talking yeah. about and I'd have to go look and he's like okay he's referencing a print from like 1989 that i have never seen before um so mm. and i'm like uh, but fourth edition really helped me personally embrace this idea of you know what no we can make this work we can yep. approach this and like yeah i know there's this really old weird old version of the Femir, and i know we've got our new Famir, but we can make this
1: work like See, yeah that's I, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah it's, that's the original that's the original art yeah it's that's like the very first ever piece of um, Femir art ever made Um, done
0: by uh tony ackland man there there are probably so many things in our office that i would pay an ungodly amount to have in my hands but uh, (laughs) yeah there's a few things (laughs) (laughs) um and it's 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 so amazing and i'm so infinitely pleased that y'all were able that y'all were able to really inspire and pull this off and like and they're continuing with it you know of that you have to be
1: very happy to hear that by the way
0: yeah well it's <laughs> just... i
1: put up a lot of work into trying to make it all work together yeah
0: well it's it's not it, i don't feel like it's a war anymore like i don't feel like yeah. i used to if you had asked me five, ten years ago how if, you, if someone had walked up to me and been like, "Hey, I know you played like you liked Eighth Edition Warhammer Fantasy." Well, this guy over here really liked Fifth Edition. What do you think? We we would have been like, uh, uh. "Ugh, <laughs> ugh." <laughs> I
1: don't. That mean, they got cartoony knights charging. That looks ridiculous. Yeah. Where's yeah. my where's my grim and gritty black and white art? Yeah, yeah, and it's
0: like, but <laughs> I I don't feel like that at all anymore. Of like, oh yeah. yeah, no, we love the same thing. It's like, yeah, sure. it's Like, there's some slight differences, but there are really fun little threads that weave that together it makes me so excited for the old world of like oh man we're fight like instead of just bringing back what we had they're like hey we're gonna go to like the great war which was weirdly never really expanded on despite being like one of the most did, important things in the universe
1: i did a big map for the um battle for kislev's gate a long time ago for black library um that that was a thing and they sort of dived into it. it's in a book called empire at war one of Black Library's background books. Um, uh, yeah, you might remember I got it right there. Nice. <laughs> yeah, there you go. So, there's the, the map I'm discussing is in there. Mm-hmm. Um, the, the print that they did of it, as I recall, um, did some of the highlights and shades wrong because they had the layers, and unfortunately, they put some of the layers in place incorrectly, which still frustrated me to this day. But it was really nice because um, we got to examine, as I recall, um, we got to examine um, a whole host of details from that era. Um, plus, we also got to drill into the culture a little bit. Um, Where, for example, uh, to ensure that that map was immediately approachable to modern writers and modern readers of uh, that particular set, we decided to put the Ice Queen on it, even though it was depicting a map, an event from 200 years earlier, and we added a lovely little cultural thing about it being presented to the Ice Queen um, on her coronation, Um, this big image of her defeating the Chaos Hordes. Um, and how it was quite common during a new coronation of one of the Tsars or czarenas, that that uh, large works of art were created in their honour where all of the historical events of Kislev were repurposed to show why they were awesome. Um, and it was just a really nice little cultural detail. But um, that book's got a little bit about it, but you're absolutely right. The Old World, I think, is going to be fascinating. I'm really enjoying watching the creepy crawly releases from it because i go oh that bit's exactly the bit the way i made it that's really cool look they've used that bit from my map that's awesome oh that bit's been completely changed that's also awesome wonder why they did that it's been really interesting to see what sources they've used as somebody who's been responsible for creating large chunks of different parts of what they're using it's been really fascinating particularly because there's already quite a lot of detail from that era and they've already started rewriting it and for me, that's, I'm always a fan of that because others see it and they get angry and they're like, why would you change that? Why would you do this? Why would you remove this family and put a different family instead? Why would you change the history where I'm all like, well, how can I make that work? Always my first thought nowadays. How can I make that work? How can I make what they've written marry with what's already there? For example, just a single one, um, Households Krug, um, their very famous Altdorf line, where emperors, uh, emperors. They were the electoral emperors um, during the time of three emperors after the collapse of all, emper- em- of all empire, but they were em- emperors at the time, bet they won't become the old world. It'll be a completely different one. They will build their own families and almost certainly reinforce the Holgwick Sleesons, Karl Franz. They'll want to say, this is Karl Franz's granddad or some equivalent, because they'll want to reinforce and connect to the and bridge into the more modern setting that everybody knows from Total War et al. Um, so they will rewrite bits, so be prepared for that. Um, so if you know your lore really, really well, prepare to be either A, upset or super excited by it, depending upon because yeah, that's overrated
0: it's it's so much more exciting to like be able it to totally like, is. I uh, love it. it it's like and already like the fact that the old world's like yeah we're going to cathay yeah it's the total war cathay yeah meow ying and Ming are gonna be there and i'm like oh are we gonna get to see the other dragon kids like you're getting like hey total war kind of implies that shinzu might still be around at this point like the dragon of light so i'm really you know maybe we can see her um god just great stuff so i've got a couple of questions coming in from chat and i wanted to kind of give them their moment uh to leap in um just on, chat give it to me yeah <laughs> so first a lot i've had I- i've been watching it the whole time there have been so many people that come in and they go oh is that an n7 sweater i love that
1: damn <laughs> like, straight what a, it is what a culture, um, i'm a huge mass effect fan Yep, I'm a mass Effect, where's my N7. There's my N7. I'm a huge Mass Effect fan and Dragon Age fan as well. Um probably more a Mass Effect fan than the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe yeah. I fully I, I really accept the flaws of the game. The end, the last ten minutes are absolutely bobbins. I nevertheless love it. Yeah. Um, so, uh,
0: that leads into another a question. So people in chat are asking what, so outside of Warhammer, what are your other favorite universes? We, you know, there's kind of, people are already kind of picking out a couple of things you got behind you. Um, but like, do you have, uh, you know, there's some like, I think Star Wars and some yeah. other stuff back there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, what's, so what, what okay, are so your favorites? I, I'm a
1: geek. <laughs> I, I'll just, I, I'll just put it right out there. Um, I play games all the time. Um, not just because I really enjoy playing games, because I'm constantly analysing, taking ideas, looking at how they did certain things and wondering why and nailing down what I would do if I did it differently. Um, so if you name a major fantasy or sci-fi thing, I have probably been a fan of it at some point. And yes, I am a fan of, say, Star Wars. I'm a fan of Doctor Who. I'm a fan of Lord of the Rings. I'm a fan of pretty much fricking everything. I, I, I will watch and enjoy almost anything, even the bad stuff um i'm a big role player uh so i role play a lot um of late and uh, it's been mostly warhammer and as i've said before we're going to be doing a big stream um for that um, so excited so but, excited yeah <laughs> uh, uh, actually on that just as a small aside if you're interested in the story of carl franz i will be pitching you one that will blow your freaking mind
0: uh yeah well i it doesn't matter what you're going to do i'm going to be there to watch it no so. <laughs> no, no
1: no the carl franz story is going to blow your mind.
0: Well, I'll fucking be saying. there. It's as, actually, actually blow you. as long as you're cool I, I, with me I, I, making a video about it, like.
1: <laughs> okay, I, I, as much as I say I may be overblowing this, I am not. I don't I think don't I'm going to blow your mind. Okay, when we reach episode, I'm guessing around 40 ish area, it'll start to nail home. But oh, that um, it's 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 quite a while in. <laughs> but it's about episode four. I've got an entire Teasing me already episode. and it's 40, 40
0: episodes away?
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I have That's not plans. nice. That's not yeah, nice, it's, Andy. It's, it's, it's awesome. Um, it's an idea that I pitched to Graham some time ago. Graham Davis, who created the original Enemy Within, just in case you're coming into the stream late. Um, and he was like, this is the best idea ever. We have to do it. But I left, so we never did that idea. So I'm going to do it on my stream. So this is awesome. I'm really looking forward to doing it because it's going to be hopefully very unexpected. God, I, anyway. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> uh computer games i play literally everything um so i uh I, i'm a little bit of a fan of a base builder or a tower defense game i'm a little bit fan of your first person action games um so single player games rather than online games never really been a huge online player um uh role-playing games are obviously right up there so our mass effects are one of my faves um but beyond that yeah everything um i also um <laughs> just as a another aside uh, I'm the CEO. I'm Coint Joe Owner. Uh, Joe owner, co-owner of our uh, <laughs> Publications. Um I can't even speak. Um uh, we've got our first board game coming out. It's currently with Midifius, if you know Modifius, they're a board game company. Okay. Um uh, they're doing the printing for that, which um we did we built that with Mark and Andy Chambers. If you know Andy Chambers, yes. Um yeah, so why are there we built
0: so many Andys?
1: And they the just are like it's just um, there are people of my in chat- generation. Of my generation, Andrew, I, I came from a tiny school in the north of Scotland in a place uh-huh. called Galsby. And my class had 16 people in it. Three of them were called Andrew. There
0: are so many questions in chat where people are asking Total War ones. And it's like, this isn't Andy Hall, it's Andy Law. It's not. <laughs> Terribly sorry, different Andy.
1: Although we do have a show with Andy Hall on, on yeah, the Rookery. So on good. the Rookery publication side, we uh, yeah, it was a fun one, actually. Um, we spoke with Andy Hall just before the release of the Chaos Wars. That actually. Um, so there was an awful lot of. I mean, are they coming? Speaking
0: of but Chaos Wars, uh, we do have <laughs> a question coming in here from a person in chat named Godzilla who asks So, uh, how do you like the Chaos Wars as far as like kind of what we've been talking about today? Total War kind of took the classic ones and the Forge World design and sort of melded them I together. Was ex-
1: I was expecting them to be more like the Forge World ones. Um, I, I was quite. I was quite convinced that's what we were going to get. Mm. Um, And then when I saw them, I was like, holy crap, they look like Mark Gibbons stuff, to speak about Mark Gibbons. Mark Gibbons Mm. is our... Mark Gibbons is Mark Evans is my business partner in Rookery Publications. <laughs> we were like, "What the fuck? That's all your Chaos Wars, Mark!" And Mark was like, <laughs> "Holy shit!" Um, so Mark immediately went and posted on Facebook all of his original Chaos Dwarves stuff from the very first. Yeah, that, Chaos that was Marvel. the thread I
0: saw, and I was, it
1: was like, "Oh, yeah!" yeah Mark and he was like, "Look at this shit because it's in the game." <laughs> yes. Um. Yeah, that put a big happy smile in our faces because. Uh, we are somewhat of a fan of the old big-hatted Chaos Dwarves. We can't help ourselves. Um, I do love them. Um, it was, I remember at the time, it was the uh, conversation spanning out of, if you don't have a big hat, you can't be a character in Warhammer. Um, and the bigger your <laughs> hat, the more powerful you are. So clearly the Chaos Dwarves were one of the most powerful species on the entire Warhammer world, because they have the biggest hats. Yeah, yeah. about 50% of
0: their mini was hat.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, totally. Um, they were the hat wearers. But yeah, um, I, I, I like them a lot and I understand that I imagine some won't and some will love them because everyone's got a different opinion, that's just how it is. But for me, I, I think, great, a lovely merging of the two and it speaks to one of the things that I've, I've in my creation always attempted to do as well, which is try and draw all the cool together into one. Amalgam into something that is Warhammer, and everybody can see their Warhammer in it, mm. whether they come from the Forge World version or whether they come from the old. Well, that would have been for fourth edition Warhammer. Did that one come out? dwarf Warhammer list. Uh,
0: mm-hmm. Yes, fourth, I believe.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, off the top of my head, could have been fifth. Um, regardless, doesn't really matter which edition it was. It's pretty freaking old now. Yeah. Um, yeah. Totally. I'm, I'm thinking of the spine. It's the same spine as the th- the fourth edition spines. Hmm. Anyway. That, by the way, um, yeah, I, I love them a lot. Uh, and, yeah, on the things I like, building stuff I like, board game, that's fun. Mm. Role-playing games, really fun. We're building Coil Crime bits just now, which is super fun. It's taken all the stuff I love from Warhammer, all the stuff I love from all the other fantasy games, piling it all into one place, and it it's so much fun. <laughs> we are really, really, really enjoying ourselves. I'm glad. Um, Good to hear. You. You're, you're your your passion host. is infectious, which is delightful. Oh, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah, our first um, book, it's gonna be called Ship of Fools and it's a role play book adventure for any system. So you oh. can play it with D&D, you can play it with Warhammer, you can play it with Cthulhu. Indeed, um, one of the people when they played it during our playtest, test, um, <laughs> they didn't have a Ship of Fools, they had a space Ship of Fools and they <laughs> set it they set it in Firefly and another one set it in, oh, what's its face? It doesn't matter, it was another sci-fi setting. Oh, that's super yeah, interesting, okay.
0: All right. So I yeah, yeah um, to
1: turn uh, that out. Yeah, it's um completely different, while well, simultaneously very similar to all the stuff that we've created before. It was oh, so, and sorry, that, and... that's coming up or that's been released? Oh, that's coming up. Okay, um coming we're up. Um, Mark Gibbons, the artist we were discussing before, right. who mm. did all the Chaos Dwarves et al. He's doing all the art for that just now. It's um it's laid out, he's just finishing off all the art pieces. But Mark is a perfectionist, so it will keep on going till it's done. Fair enough. Um and uh, yeah, it's written, it's looking lovely.
0: All right, so I've got a couple of yes, f- some some rapid fire questions for you. So yes, let's uh, go. we got one from Varric Voiceover, who did the voice of Fenrir in that mm-hmm. video. Um, You're awesome. There you go, Varric. You can go to sleep <laughs> with that. Uh, so he asks, which Warhammer race do you think has the most compelling story?
1: Oh my goodness, that's a little <laughs> bit like saying choose between your babies. Yeah. <laughs> um, compelling story. See. There's a funny old thing with Warhammer because it's very easy to focus on the areas that have had the most story. Right. And the most story almost certainly has fallen on the Empire, Um, the the center of the old world, which pretty much became the center of the end times as well. Um, What happened with Grand Cathay and the Pawn and all the rest during the end times? Yeah, very, pretty... pretty common Exploded. criticism uh, yeah
0: world's <laughs> ending let's just focus on this little stretch <laughs> it, it was
1: it was a really european weird end to the world um and yeah, yeah so they've had certainly some of the best stories um because they've had the most stories if you look at the novels most of the novels were set there mm. and it's really easy to fall in those but if i look at the overall species and the ones that i've enjoyed most it's hard not to love the elves um, I had this conversation with Gav Thorpe, actually, where Gav hates the elves um, <laughs> and absolutely despises them. Um, although he does write novels about them, obviously. Right, yeah, yeah. Um, he, he he loves dwarves, absolutely adores the dwarves. Mm. Um, and I, yeah, I'm, I'm quite the, it's not so much I'm the fan of the elves. I think there's a beautiful, heart-wrenching, awful story being told there. Um, and how the end of the world happened, and I won't go into all the end time stuff, right. um, but it was very close to what I I had already done when I blew up my Warhammer world. Parts of it were quite similar, particularly with uh, Malekith. Uh, We're going to have to
0: get some details from your version of that one day. You do
1: not want my heretical version of how the world ended. I have pictures <laughs> online of 40k stuff being involved. That, I think, is enough to make everybody flee uh, hey, to got, the hills we already had, in terror. We already
0: had Kabanda, the main villain of <laughs> book five, okay? Like, it already happened.
1: <laughs> yeah, it did. Um, but yeah, I, I'm a huge fan of the elves. I love um, what they did with the lizard in the end because they, they really brought that back and they took what could have been a very problematic setting and they twisted it around into something that was super awesome um, the, How watching how the lands of the dead progressed and changed into what it is currently has been I think super fascinating yeah. um, It to, to its detriment it sort of wiped out undead in other parts of the um, world and it's been interesting watching how that co- slowly crept back, lice for example used to be very common or liches depending on how you want to pronounce right, yeah. it across, mm. um, across the old world um, where they very much withdrew south and became very much a uh, thing of the yeah, land. The it,
0: day. it took some digging. Uh, when I, I did the, the lore video on Heinrich Kimmler, and it, it took some digging to figure out, like, okay, why is this guy called the Lich Master? To realize, yeah. Oh, okay, yeah, we do have liches from other parts of the world, and they're not Tomb Kings. They're their own distinct thing, but they're yeah, very, quite. and the role play. The role play is the way I was able to dig
1: that up. Yeah, um, that's where it's all. Um, that. <laughs> Terror of the Lich Master is a particularly interesting one because it was both role play. And battle games, so you had the battle game expansion. They got turned into a role play expansion, um, and the the battle for La amazing tal is there's some interesting details in there. Yeah, um, especially with the Skaven and the Black Ark. Oh, just superb. Um, anyway, putting all that aside, I'm going to drop down one Skaven.
0: Okay, uh, so yeah, uh, another question. Okay, so this one, uh, this, so in my community, there's a very big meme because I'm a huge fan of them and their potential. What What are your thoughts on the fi- the mysterious fishmen of the oceans?
1: Fishman! Oh my goodness! Um, the number of times that's come up because I stream every week doing some mapping. Um, yes. Just, just mm-hmm. me and whoever happens to turn up. And um, they're lovely little streams because they're super quiet. It's just me ticking away doing a map of a place called Callaghan in the Reichland. And we're slowly building it up. And people, whenever they co- pop into the stream, they will drop in and they will say something like, have you considered putting one of these here? Um, it's a diplomatic center for the Reichland. So mm-hmm. it's a super important place. And it's run by the Halls Krugs, one of the most important families, which we mentioned earlier in the stream of Reichland. Mm-hmm. And it makes for a super fascinating thing the number of times freaking fishmen are brought up oh my goodness <laughs> um it was a constant thing throughout the first five or six years have you considered fishmen <laughs> um fishmen in particular it's something that graham and i talked about that's graham davis again harking right. back to him because yeah. um he added them in francy roleplay one a bajillion years ago yeah um, and it has it has become one of those undercurrent things that keeps on popping up its little fishy head every once in a while what do i think i think they should run with it and turn it into something awesome
0: yeah i uh, that's what i think i did a uh we 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 did kind of a little series where uh, i paid an artist uh because there's a few descriptions of them that appear from time to time so i paid an artist to create some art and it turned out beautiful of these horrific needle fanged aquatic men creatures (laughs) and uh did a lot of digging and came up with a lot of theories. I think the one of the my favorite theories I came up with was blaming the fishmen for the earthquake that sucked Chup Yodel. being the revenge of the fishmen against the creations of the old ones for coming to their planet and forcing them anyway. But it's like there's there's such a fun um like conspiracy that is also vague, vaguely backed up and they show up in a lot of places where you go, "Oh, if they're real, they are kind of everywhere, which means they're probably kind of terrifying and kind of big.
1: <laughs> Potentially, also um, behind the cursed marsh- marshes around Marienburg, mm. um, and the fall of the Femmer that used to be there. Mm. Uh, there's lots of different little rumours that pop up. Yeah, I, 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 I think they're awesome. I think there's this lovely back-burning question that should have an answer at some point, and the old world provides a potential option for doing that.
0: Yeah, and I also- would love
1: them to into a species that have never been touched before. Yeah. I think because in Age of Sigmar they sort of ran along that route and they came up with some really nice things. Yeah,
0: they're, yeah, they, oh man, I lost my mind when they released the uh, I Death Deep Kim book and they were like, yes, uh, we have these guys called the Abholons now and I'm like, Fishman! <laughs> we yeah, don't have an AOS now. Totally. Um, so uh, 100%. percent Dakola 86 asks, uh, did you play the, or either play it now on the private server or when it was live, the Warhammer uh, Age of... Uh, online age of reckoning game
1: yes i ran my old gate I ran my own guild back in those oh, days. Oh what'd you I, play? I, I, what was your, what was your um, career? Um uh, which one do I choose? <laughs> I, <laughs> what I played was your them main <laughs> I, I played them all. It's like choosing between babies. Um I, I said, you, you kinda can they're your children. Um yeah I played them all. Uh that was part of my fun um because I loved drilling into all the lore that we're building. I was actually approached to writing it but I didn't want to move to America um which is where they wanted me to be and i was like yeah no i don't blame you. it i live in scotland <laughs> K thanks bye i'm gonna stay in scotland and that's just the way it's gonna be mm. um but i knew quite a few of the writing team and we were chatting away about all the things they were doing so it was super fun for me to go in and see how they did it and it's inov- inevitably always the case for someone who's super lore heavy you meet some characters and you're like seriously that's how they're depicting it because you can't help it Valmor right. von Raukov. Where was Vollmer's mustache? <laughs>
0: ah! Yeah, there, there were definitely some hilarious, like weird, like cut, not cut corners, but like there was some times where you'd run to a model and go, "Who? that's not what he looks like.
1: What? Who's this guy? <laughs> yeah, totally. But I, I, I loved it. Um, regardless of the lore, let's say cut corners that it took, um, they made I it work. really enjoyed playing it. Um, I've been tempted multiple times almost to go back to the Revivified server where it's been run privately. It's, I've almost done it, but my free time is so low because yeah. I'm doing so I, much. All I'll say is they got Karazakarak
0: and Black Crag up and running, which was not in live. Oh. So like, you can actually go explore the
1: Dwarf and Greenskin capitals now. No, They're very cool. That'd be That'd be fucking cool. They're very yeah, nice. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. You yeah. Okay. Yeah. You're getting me now. Yeah. Hey. You. Should yeah. Be, okay. I'm sure the devs <laughs> would
0: be delighted to give you a tour. They're very nice people. Um, are
1: they? Well, if they happen to be out there and want to get in contact at Hypemesis on Twitter, I will. I'll happily take a tour. Yeah, around. I will.
0: I will reach out to them as soon as this is over because uh, I have their yeah, their cool. their personal stuff. They are. I'm sure they would be delighted to show you around. Um. So. Uh, uh I yeah, because I need it because it's like I want to get back to playing, but I'm so busy with all the chaos dwarf stuff. Blah, yeah. blah, blah. But <laughs> yeah. if there could be three of me that could share a consciousness, that would be so great. Um My life would be so much easier. <laughs> uh okay, so Kamiya asks uh, I, I don't know if there's a serious answer to this question, but if there is, it would delight <laughs> me. Do you some authors yes. do this, some don't. Uh do you happen to have an a self insert character anywhere in the Warhammer fantasy universe? yes
1: oh okay i we need to know who it is <laughs> yes i do but um it's it's not one that i've written oh <laughs> um, because i i i literally couldn't do that i tried but i just found it horrendous <laughs> uh, found it really tough so i'm going to mention a couple of things here okay. because there's a couple of different routes that we can take in here um number one whenever i do a city map i put my house in it Okay. Um so that's an easy one. Um next one, the One Fantasy Roleplay Four Inside Sleeves have got a map of the glorious Reichland. Um it's a double page spread on the right. inside Beautiful map. Mm. Um, um oh, thank you for saying so. I drew that. Um so uh that particular map I don't know, if I've got a copy around me here. Ah, I got um,
0: I got my I got my collectors edition. There we go.
1: Yeah, there you go. I've got a collectors edition somewhere too. I've got number oh, yeah, gosh. Yeah, yeah. oh, oh gosh oh gosh oh gosh yeah i have like it's, an it's, auto it's,
0: green screen that's very <laughs> very uh particular yeah whatever really whatever me. i'll put up i'll put it, it up as the thumbnail
1: <laughs> wait a minute i can uh i can do the same on my side because i'm pretty sure i've got a copy here, here uh, right uh, i'll reach around Stupid and go i'm not screen. sure how well that's going this map here now in the yes. corner there's a little bit with the uh heraldry there and underneath it it says From the actual surveys by A. Richter. A. Richter. Richter meaning almost lawyer in uh, German. Uh So A. Law and L. Koch. My wife's maiden name was Cook. L. Cook. Um, So that's a a map that was commissioned by me and my wife. It's not really much of a self-insert. It's the tiniest of self-inserts. It's a beautiful self-insert. A. Richter is mentioned there. I've used A. Richter in a couple of different things in Warhammer. Um, There was a cartographer mentioned somewhere in an adventure somewhere that was also called A. Richter. But on a more obvious self-insert, but it's not really a self-insert, is um, characters that have developed significantly over the course of time in my games often get moved into any of my official writing because it makes it so much easier to understand the characters rather than just right. create something up from fresh. Um, and in some cases, they were central to core plot points. Um, as a single example, um, in the Tome of Salvation, so that's Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 2 time, released in about 2007, eight, somewhere around yeah,
0: right there. Yeah, amazing, um, amazing book for background lore. Like, my God, the stuff on the, like, I okay, I just have to guess for a second. <laughs> the stuff on the original human culture before all of the, like, Sigmarite cultures moved in. That, that. stuff, it's fucking incredible. And it does so much crazy world building for this druidic culture. That like predates everybody. Yep. They've got the whole Earth Mother thing. They understood who the yep. old ones were. They have a reference yep. to tech on one of their monoliths, yep. which you're like, what the? F-? Ugh, but they weren't a warlike culture, so they got wiped out, and you're like, fuck. <laughs> this
1: yep. is really good. I wrote that. Yeah, yeah, that that was me. Um, um <laughs> so that bit you love.
0: Yay, I wrote it! Um, it's, it's amazing. It's amazing. And, yeah, I
1: enjoyed I enjoyed that book a lot um, because it was an opportunity to dive into a lot of lore that Warhammer had previously sort of sidelined, particularly with its focus on the Empire and Sigmar, where everything was Sigmar. Sigmar, right. Sigmar, Sigmar, Sigmar. Sigmar. Um, and I was quite happy to do things like make Mermidia a significantly more deep and expanded mm. um, cult. So rather than her just being an Athena rip-off, um, which is what she had been previously. She uh, was developed into a goddess of the entire south, possibly the largest cult in the old world, significantly more influential than Sigmar, which was largely just a cult of the empire. Yeah, well, Sigmar's and, a baby.
0: You know, he's only been around yeah, for uh, twenty five hundred years.
1: <laughs> indeed, and also adding in nice little lore details about how, say, Mermidia had actually come and as manifested as a mortal. Yeah, awesome world.
0: story. Awesome story. Yeah, her, her totally.
1: And life story. And that was all. Yeah, that was all added. Um, during that period. But in the Ulrich section of that, there's a discussion about Ulrichan politics and how Ulrichan priests are forced to take a vow of celibacy because of Mm. political things from the past. And one of the little adventure hooks at the bottom there explains how that had recently been put into stark light because uh, Heinrich Tobringer, who was a politician side, r- harking right back to our earlier mentions of Henry Toddbringer before, mm. um, had recently impregnated a priestess of Ulrich, um, effectively creating th- exactly everything that wasn't supposed to happen, right. um, which is a dynasty that rivaled the Todbringers and the Todbringers themselves are breaking it, which is causing all manner of schisms yeah. <laughs> within the <cult> of Ulrich <laughs> and the nobles. She is pictured later in the book, um, right at the very end in the artifact section, In the artifact section, there's a picture of um, a priestess with a big white wolf pelt sitting across her shoulders with Middenheim in the background. The big, huge rise of rock and Mm. the city sitting at the top of it. Um, And she's sitting there. It's a picture that had been commissioned by Boris Torbringer um, because basically his son had impregnated her. Yeah, (laughs) Um, He's like, we got to make this look good. (laughs) That's my wife's character. That's amazing. And she's also a writer for Warhammer. Um, So, yeah. Good times. Um,
0: like I said, what yeah. I want, what I want to be when I grow up. I've, I've yeah, made, I may be thirty, times. but I still, I still, I still haven't grown up. <laughs>
1: uh, but the reason that I used her was because um, that was a story that had come up in our games, and I, when I was looking at each one of the schisms that we created for the cult, I was like, how can I best? I can't, I've already got a really good example of of conflict, and one of the things when you're writing a roleplay game is that you need to seed conflict through everything. And conflict is not just hitting someone with. Uh, hammer over the head. It's all about people having different views to other people and having to resolve it. Because right. that conflict is at the heart of most stories. People disagreeing with each other and trying to fix it one way or another. And often in Warhammer, with a hammer. Yeah. Um, and <laughs> looking at each one of those conflicts and how best to express it. And she expressed it beautifully because she pretty much summed up all of the issues with that particular schism in the cult. So she just got added, it was easier than trying to create something new. Which is awesome and it, it works so well.
0: Uh, um, okay. So uh, next quick question. Uh, so something that a lot of people don't get to experience and I just have to ask about, cause it's so crazy to watch. You created all these wonderful, beautiful things. They've come out of your head. They're your babies. And now they have become a worldwide beloved, Um. Uh, world that's being adapted into video games um and you know audio dramas and books and you've got people like uh-huh. me who literally study what you wrote as a career uh-huh. and it's a profitable career <laughs> that allows me to try uh-huh. like i get to travel the world because of the shit that you wrote like yeah,
1: great well yeah, done I, I wish i did yeah
0: <laughs> yeah. You know, it's like i've i've been on a movie set for a fan-made movie that's going to come out this year the chaos awesome. writing stuff i that's why i was in scotland and it's literally those people just bringing your stuff to life. What I I have to ask: What is it like to like see stuff like Total War or Vermintide or the role play games or how like the old world coming back is this like cultural phenomenon? It's like that's you.
1: Not just me, part one part of a very large team. Um, right. Not not to get you know big headed. I was just one member of a very large team, all of whom have added different things over time. But it is weird. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'll give an example of um, how I found it weird. I was working my way through Vermintide, enjoying the game, seeing things in it, and I was like, oh, that's a thing I did. That's pretty cool. And there's a thing, oh, that's pretty cool too. Um, And then I went down to Games Workshop for one of our events. I think it was actually Warhammer Fest. It was, it was Warhammer Fest. So I went down for Warhammer Fest. And Warhammer Fest is this lovely collection, not just of fans, but of all the creators of not just the studio and the game, the people around there, but all of the licensed creators coming together. And I was down there to do uh, effectively a speech where I was going to explain how the Enemy Within wasn't just going to be a reimagining of the Enemy Within campaign, it was going to be a bridge between Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay 1 and Warhammer 8. And I was there to present that to all of the fans and to also tell the licensing people and everyone else how it was all going to work. And that was super fun. And we we did a nice little speech, did the thing. I'm um, sat so a stall, but eventually I sat down after the event with the Vermintide um, crew, lovely people, and it was the weirdest thing because they were all gushing and going, "Oh, we got <laughs> to meet Andy and we're doing this," and I was like, "Whoa," because <laughs> I wanted to meet them because I really enjoyed their game. <laughs> yeah. And I was like, "Tell me your stuff," and it was really weird. Um, that was for of all the things that I've done, and i found, I remember sitting beside Zachary Levy once of all people. Um, uh, because I happened to be invited to a con somewhere where he was also invited. Go, what the fuck am I doing with him here? <laughs> <laughs> I, just, I just made a, a, a role-playing game. What the hell? <laughs> that was weird. Um, I got a nice picture with, um, oh God, I've forgotten his name. It doesn't really matter who it was. He's an actor. Um, but yeah, that was weird. But uh, what's it like? It's it's a bit weird. Um, I love it because every time that something that i created is respun in a new way, um, I can I can see that thing, what I did do maybe 10 years, 15 years ago, mm. completely built in a completely new and often exciting way. I, I just love it. It's, it's just super exciting. I know that's a really bland, gushy yeah. response. But I think it's a great it's response. the truth. Um, I, I actually love it. Uh, and I get quite a few messages from people who are fans of the older setting and don't like where new steps have been taken, for example. And they're like, aren't you a bit upset that this thing's been written or that this thing has overwritten the thing you did? And I'm like, no, no, because I sort of (laughs) did the same when I tried to make it all sense myself, because there's always gonna be a bit of lore that contradicts with another. And you have to make a choice as to how they get incorporated. And sometimes they just don't mesh. A classic example will be the town of Del Bears, I know this is going to sound weird, but the town of Del Bears used to be down in the south of Middenland. Warner Fantasy Roleplay 2 moved it into the middle of Middenland because the Storm of Chaos moved it into the middle of Middenland. So the studio rewrote its position. Mm. Which meant that the beginning of the Enemy Within campaign, which is supposed to start in Del Bears, really close to Altdorf, can't start in Del Bears because it's now up in the middle. People got up in arms at the time when it got moved. They were like, how can you move an entire town? It'd be a little bit like moving null to Taliban. You can't do that. How did Nuln become Talapine? They're two different places. Games Workshop do this frequently. Almost every map they release has got a new location on it or a location that used to be oh, on that side of the river, now on this side of the river, or up there and it's now become down there. It's it's par for the course. Right. When you write the role-playing game, you fix it. We have we even have a little comic um aside inside one of the role-play games where it says Del Bears and Del Bren with a little arrow pointing both directions. Yeah, because I, lo- I, re-
0: I love those I replaced, little replaced notes. Yeah,
1: yeah, I replaced Del Bears in the Enemy Within with Del Bren and it was a mapping (laughs) issue. Okay, so we wrote it into the background that people got confused between the two locations, and we wrote it in as a sign saying that people got confused between the two locations because that's, I mean... There's no reason for you to get angry about it. You can make it all make sense right. if you wish to do so. It's a broken world where nobody's got all the facts. It's easy to get stuff wrong.
0: Yeah. Uh, yeah. I, one of the players in the campaign I'm GMing uh, uh, is like, hey, we were just in Delvers because we, I, I had a start in Middenheim. So we went down through, we, You know, we took the Middenheim to Altdorf Road, which took us through Delvers and they got to deal with the the shrine there, uh, the, the comic plague shrine with the, the grand Theogenes hand they they stole some of his fingernail clippings and gave it to As someone. Do. Yeah, gave <laughs> gave it to someone who totally has good intentions and that won't come back to bite them at all. Um,
1: <laughs> good times.
0: Uh, oh man. Okay. So I would love to keep talking for eternity. I am looking at the time. Um, we have been going oh, yeah, for I've, about two hours. Almost
1: two hours already. Yeah. We'll get, um, I'm used to long streams. My first mapping stream for the uh, Callaghan was seven hours long. Jesus
0: Christ. Okay. Uh, and I sat TV. down,
1: I started, and I just kept on going. And I didn't even realize <laughs> the time. I was just chatting away because our streams are, they're, they're basically lore chats. Yeah. Um. And everybody pitches ideas, and I explain why ideas work or don't work. So they just end up becoming often deep dives into obscure cults and which ones would fit and wouldn't fit in the individual area. And apparently, that takes seven hours for the first of our streams. <laughs> um, there's over 50 hours of us mapping and chatting random lore now so, so yeah, yeah. And
0: I, i've heard quite a bit um so okay i have to ask about cartography real quick because you're a prolific yes, yes, map yes. maker and your maps are beautiful I, am. I have them hanging on my walls um oh super uh, thank you because they're great so fun fact um the cubicle seven guys reached out to me um about the illustrious stuff and they were like hey like we'd like to do like an interview and stuff after stuff comes out and so you can ask questions i'm like yeah i'm super excited and when they released the book, I did a live stream reaction to it, and it was, like, super fun. We had a good time. And they emailed me, and they were like, uh, so you were a lot more excited about the maps than we thought anybody was going to be, so I guess we've decided that we're going to release the maps now as a separate release <laughs> to go <laughs> alongside, because otherwise we weren't going to do that. It's like, please, people like maps. <laughs> They're very nice.
1: Maps, maps always win. Um, one of the things I'm doing for uh, the... uh, <laughs> a stream of the Enemy Within... Is I'm going to be building all the maps that I need for it, you know, and I'll just be popping them all up for free. Yeah, so I think I've used, I
0: think I've used some of your maps. Um, I
1: think. It wouldn't surprise me. <laughs> there's going to be a bunch. There's going to be a bunch more popping up online. Um, much like the glorious right clan, I'm building a glorious Middenland, an equivalent of that just now. Um, it will be quite unlike the released ones because we no. I no longer need to build it solely for Games Workshop. I'm building this for myself, my own campaign, so I can uh, just wholesale create it as I require um, but I'm going to be using the master map for those of you who don't know out there when I was employed during so we're talking the mid 90s now in the mid 90s, I was employed to map the entirety of the empire um, for the role-playing game that book never got released that doesn't really matter but for that I I re-secured every single Games Workshop source that had ever been pretty much published, went through them all, and found every single location that had been mentioned, whether it was in comics, whether it was in computer games, whether it was in novels, the board game, White Wars, whatever. And I piled them onto what became my master map, um, which was the map that lay behind all the maps that I did for the second edition of Warhammer Fantasy Roleplay. Mm. And it was one gigantic, Collection of everything Games Workshop had ever done in the Empire together, um, and that's what I'm going to be using. That's what I use, for example, for the glorious Reichland. That's what lies behind it. All the cities that are located mm. there, many of which people were like, "This is new," and I was like, "It's really not." Yeah, this one's mentioned in this book. This one's mentioned in this book. This one's mentioned over there. This one came from White Dwarf number whatever. All these things have been added to the Empire at some point. It's just, it's just all of it right. for the first time. Nor- normally, Games Workshop only. St- Fix upon those tent poles that they always know: Nung, Altdorf. Talapine. Yeah, they're like uh... the, the primary. <laughs> yeah. And then when when they fall into the middle areas, they're like, "That's all the places our writers worry about." Yeah. And they make up as they need for each one of their various productions. Where I wasn't doing that, I was taking all of the writer stuff and making that. So I'm going to be doing an equivalent map for Midland, for example, um, and I'm just going to pop that for free over my blog because I, can. I can't. I cannot wait to see that.
0: Um,
1: okay. That'll be fine. You better print it out and
0: do whatever you want with it. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna use it in a lot of videos. Is what I'm gonna do. <laughs> uh, Good times. Okay, so one thing, uh, one question that I saw asked. That's a great question. Do you have like, yes, yes, yes. Uh, like either an idea or a character race? Do you have a white whale as far as like something that you wish you had gotten to do? That either Games holy Workshop crap. was like, holy crap, yes. Games Workshop <laughs> was like, no, nah, we don't want to do that, or there just wasn't oh, time no. or something. No,
1: actually, oh, okay. So I'm gonna see both yes and no to this um i found games workshop never said no um not to me at least but there's a reason for that it's because i'm so steeped in warhammer lore it's pretty much in every grain and bone of my body that i'm never pitching anything to them that isn't warhammer right what i'm pitching to them is their own material sometimes rejected in a new way somewhat times looked at from a different angle but ultimately it's games workshop shit and it's awesome mm. um so every time I've said, this is what I'd like to do, they've gone, yeah, great, brilliant. Um, I, Whenever I'm going into something that I think they're going to say no to because it's a bit weird or because it's older material that perhaps needs a lot of re-examining before it's re-presented, um, I, I never say, this is what I want to do. I always say, these are the options. Which one would you like to take? So for example, <laughs> yeah, 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 because it's just a better route. Yeah, then yeah, they yeah. say, I want that one. And I'm like, great, that's the one yeah, I'll okay. do. Then,
0: then we're going, yeah.
1: So for example, Um, I was uh, organising the final, um, let's say, setup for a book called Rough Nights and Hard Days. Rough Nights and Hard Days was a collection of adventures that was originally three adventures. And when I took over, it became five adventures that we built with Graham Davis. Um, And I added two sections to the end of that about pub games that are played in the Empire because who doesn't like to play pub games? (laughs) And gnomes. Gnomes. Um, And gnomes were, let's say, somewhat controversial. And I realized this uh, Mm. because I looked at the original adventure, uh, A Rough Night at the uh, Three Feathers Inn, um, and it had a gnome in it. It was from first edition. Mm. And there were no gnomes in second edition. When the second edition version of that adventure was published, they replaced him with a halfling. And they said, he's a halfling. Mm. So I looked at it and I went, gnomes, interesting, interesting. I could write gnomes pretty freaking well, but they're not really in Warhammer anymore. But Warhammer is a really open place nowadays. It's not like it used to be where they were very tightly just on the war game. Now there are far more, it's a big world full of yeah. stuff and all sorts of things could be there. So they might like it. And I thought I would, if I was um, receiving this, because I went through the whole process in my mind, because mm. before you pitch something, you've got to think, what's going to go and what's not going to go? I went, if I was receiving this, what would I say? It would have to be really Warhammer to work. Okay, I can do that. Right, so I sent off an email and I said, right, so we've got gnomes here. I can either make it a halfling. That's what second edition did. I can make it a gnome, which means I'm going to have to add something to explain that. So I'll write about five pages worth of super Warhammer gnomes. Mm. But I'll have to write it in a way that explains why they're not anywhere else and they've not been spotted anywhere else, which means I'm going to have to write it in a very Warhammery way that makes sense with that within the setting. Um, or alternatively, we can just dump them completely and just make it human. So gnomes, no gnomes. I'm totally cool with whatever you want. Pitched over to them. Came back, do the fucking gnomes. So I did. Um, And the gnomes that were added at the back of Rough Nights and Hard Days, I got Mark Gibbons, who you may have noted already is my go-to (laughs) piece of art. He keeps coming up. He keeps coming up for some reason. Mark's amazing. He did the two pieces of art for the gnomes in that book. Um, And they're super great. You might know Mark, not just from Warhammer, but he was also um, the lead artist on Warcraft, for example. Oh, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Mark yeah. gets about. Um, he he also worked for Sony for a long time, and I think so. I forget loads of computer gaming stuff. He did, he he's, he's awesome. Um, so Mark did the treatment for that. Um, so he did the concepting for them, um, and I sat down and I was like, right now I've got five only five pages to build an entire culture for an entire species. To not only do that, because it's a role play game, these have to be playable. So I need to also include stats, names how they appear, why they don't see, oh my goodness, how am I going to plan this one out? Um, So I spent about four days on just the plan to try and squeeze it all into just five pages. And you Um, fucking did it. That's the thing that blows my mind. (laughs) um, Thank you very much. I'm very pleased with how it came out. I wanted to do so much more. And before I left, I was going to do so much more. We're going to be doing um, in the first archives book, where I was going to detail those a bit more, but instead we went down the Halfling route instead. Um, and they covered the moot. Uh, mm. But that was originally going to be a piece written by me about the gnomes and different gnomes. But I sort of wrote a bit more about that, slapped it on a blog, just because I had it in the back of my head and I was like, I'll quickly tap that out. Um, I'll maybe give you a link to it later, just so you can go find it. Yes, please. Um, I, yeah, I did a, a quick little bit about um, each one of the different gnomish uh, kingdoms kingdoms yeah let's call them that um in the empire and presented them in a somewhat similar way to how they were presented in say the wood elf army list when it was talking about each one of them. right it's not it's not the same but it's close enough so it was an immediately accessible piece uh-huh. and you could recognize it as a piece of warhammer lore and that was quite fun so i got that out the way because it was in my head and i wanted to write that bit so i had to get it down and get it out the way um but that's very much a fan piece that just got popped up on my blog um But uh, yeah, so that was something that wasn't my white whale that I wanted to track down, um, but most certainly was something that I expected to be because by the time I'd sent off the email asking them to do it, I was like, I'm really wanting to write this. And this was from someone who had never used a gnome in any of his games ever. and suddenly I was super excited. I was sitting there going, oh, And I could use Grom the Paunch to explain this, but I could do, oh, I could do this, and I could really tie it in that way. Got super excited. And I thought it was going to be a white whale because I was convinced I was going to be told no. But if we go to an actual white whale, it's the enemy within campaign itself, um, because I didn't finish it. Graham and I had a plan for how it was going to be finished. It was all in my head, but I left the job, which meant that, it never got finished the way I was gonna do it. <laughs> Which means the enemy then campaign has all of the seeds that I sowed, because I did all the first treatments and everything. I wrote the first treatments for the last two books, but they've been executed in a completely different way. Mm. And much like the gnomes, I've got this burning urge to try out some of the things that were imagined between Graham and I, or that I presented to him. So that's one of the reasons why we're doing the actual play because I've got to vent the ideas I somewhere. I cannot
0: Wait to see it. Also, so, you should totally yeah. do like a blog on your Carl Franz stuff.
1: <laughs> um, the Carl Franz stuff, I'll probably do the blog when the campaign's done because Ah, that makes sense. Frank- yeah. Frankly. <laughs> oh my goodness. Um, but yeah, that's that it's a core story of the enemy within, and it's actually it's if i was going to say it's the white whale that's probably it it wasn't because it was nixed by games workshop next game's workshop already approved this part it's Mm. because it never happened you know it never happened it's funny
0: in the in the community of warhammer fans there's so many like mythologies and legends about gw and they're kind of portrayed in this very like fashion i I don't think i've ever heard a story of them saying no to something other
1: than like i've heard stories of they do a lot yeah oh they do a lot okay let's be let's be 100% honest they hold their IP very closely Mm -hmm. because it's their intellectual property and they are very concerned that anything that is created hits a certain level. Now, that level is gonna be very different for a mobile game to what it is for a big war game, to what it is for a role-playing game, what it is to a novel, Mm -hmm. but they hold it quite tightly um, and they will very carefully pick apart everything that you do. I'm lucky, geeky, depending upon how you look at it, because I know almost all the lore. So even when Games Workshop comes back and says, it shouldn't be this, I say, well, this is why it is this. Do you want me to change it? But it's this because of something that's said over here. Mm -hmm. Um, And they generally go, oh, you know what? That's really cool that you're referencing that. That's brilliant. Away you go. Um, So I have had, personally, a marvellous relationship, but I know many who have not. Um, Interesting. but But that's because they're often pitching things that don't quite match what Games Workshop wants at that time. Games Workshop is a constantly changing company, just like any other company. Mm. And their focus moves from one game to another game, from one um, pillar to another pillar. And as that focus changes, it's gonna put more more critical eyes upon the material that's been created. For example, right now, there's probably a more critical eye being put on Warhammer Fancy Roleplay than there was when I was creating it, being the producer just a few years back, because of the old world. Yeah, The old world has now become something that they are actively developing which means that anything that comes out from other people is going to have to at least match or potentially become the outcome of what they're building, which means that they're going to pour over everything that comes in with a far tighter eye, perhaps. Now, that might not be the case. I'm not talking to this now. They might be behind the scenes going, nah, it's all cool. Um, (laughs) But broadly speaking, that has been my experience in the past. There was a lot of, uh, as an example, you really enjoyed the first chapter from uh, the Tome of Salvation. Um, There was quite a lot of material in that that was considered to be relatively controversial um, because it was making sense of a lot of the different background decisions that had either been ditched, moved aside or moved on from. Druids, for example, the Mm. great druidic families. Um, And a discussion was had behind the scenes as to, do we even want this in? Do we want to have Teklis going to the great druidic families? Okay, and saying, you're wrong. You're wrong. These great menhirs that you're worshiping are actually old waystones Mm. and this is the proof. Now he happened to choose one that was approved. It doesn't mean that he was one hundred percent right either. Um plus Teclus had his own. You yeah, know he's I'm a, not saying that elves I, manipulate people. I, I, but you know Yeah, I he, elves!
0: he's such a he's such a great character.
1: Like I love Teclas. Um so uh that was a bit controversial, but I then popped in. Look, it's in the Jade Wizard background. This is where they came from, and I'm reinstating that and making sure that it's clear in the current edition of the game, and it'll also marry well with whatever else you said." They were like, you know what, that's fair. But similarly, um, and to heart, right back to almost the beginning of this stream, there was the discussion concerning the planetary system. Right. That got cut.
0: Mm.
1: Um, That got cut. And that's an example of Games Workshop going, actually, no. Mm. Um, We're not sure that we want to put that into place yet. And that is, I would say, broadly speaking, my experiences um but when i've been dealing with them directly they have been nothing but generally speaking the best they're awesome um yeah I, I, well yeah i utterly adored my work on them. yeah it's so interesting to hear because like
0: uh, i i've been like really with the total war stuff since the first game and uh i've been so blessed in that thanks to my community and stuff i've gotten to have a lot of really uh personal involvement with creative assembly and a lot of the stuff they're doing um and it, and it has been super interesting seeing games workshop evolve from things were very different during total War warhammer one you know where the mm-hmm. fantasy universe was kind of functionally dead in a lot of ways and yep. they were kind of a little more i guess laissez-faire um as far as like yeah sure you can use and gorst as a big character whatever who cares uh compared yep. to now we're like like they were all over the kiss left stuff and the grand cathay stuff yep. and they are like no oh you're gonna make grand cathay we're gonna make you an army book you're not gonna just do yep. stuff we're gonna be here um which is very exciting um but it, it's just it's, interesting to see um it's it's so good to see them you know i've read a lot of really interesting kind of like little articles and talking to people who work at dw about like how excited they are about it and a lot of like really big names coming back and writing uh you know i can't wait to see the new bretonia and the new tomb kings like like ooh, the new bretonia <laughs> That's so exciting yeah. um and um it's 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 so fascinating, um and I just I just say I as a fan and someone who like does this for a living and like it's it's my life really truly is it's how I've made friends it's how I traveled le- like left my home and gotten to see meet people across the world and all this other stuff thank y'all so much I know you're not the only one but you're just the one I get to talk to at this no. moment uh, yeah, totally <laughs> I, I cannot I cannot like laud enough accolades on you for keeping warhammer alive in that the war- the fourth edition role play and like vermin tide and total war were those little lifelines that kept they were fantasy alive because it was like you know the end times was a thing and the uh, first edition of a- age of sigmar was a thing you know there were very different aims con- it, there games workshop was a very different place it felt like back then you know the ceo yeah, was a very did interesting individual and there was a lot of crazy things going on but um like it was it was amazing seeing all this stuff and going we're still in like we're still in this game like we're still going and we're living like i i am in a golden age i literally what like two weeks ago i had games workshop come out and release a brand new line for the Lizardmen, which is for the seraphon and for of the old world and the lustria campaign book dropped which i think I think uh, the original uh, second edition roleplay had been like, or maybe the first edition had been like, we're going to do a Lustrio book, and then it just kind of never happened. And then, and then all of a sudden, hey, here it is, thirty years later, but it's here. Here's your Lustrio book. Yep. It's amazing. Like the Lustrio book is so good. Uh, and it's like all this stuff is happening within a week, and then the Chaos Dwarfs come back, and they're great and Yay! awesome, and like they're not, and like they're building up to them coming out in AOS, where we've got all this other stuff happening. And it's like this is insane this is yep. insane to think that we went from you know 20 I I'll never forget being in college I was I was a freshman or sophomore in college when the end times kind of was wrapping up and it was like oh my god like this is not great
1: <laughs> like this is really sad um yeah and I remember the time really well because um, I I blown up my Warhammer world relatively recently. Um, we uh, reached the end of a 10 year campaign because I don't do short campaigns um, and we've been playing for 10 years. Um, the same character that I mentioned before that's in the Tome of Salvation, she was one of the characters, um, Sigurd. Um, and a character that's mentioned a few times in Fantasy World Play 4, um, Fitz Tancred, Brave Wizard, he was one of the characters as well. Uh, he was mentioned a few times in the core book because mm. Andy wrote some of the sections in that, that was one of my players. and. Um, we watched as the old world blew up. And the worst part of it was the story that we'd built, we thought was better, mm. as is often the case. Um, you know, when you be- spent a lot of time figuring out how it all goes, Admittedly, our story ended in the most controversial way ever for people who like to keep 40k and Warhammer separate. Um, it was ridiculous, <laughs> proper redonkulous. But if we ignore the 40k bits and just look at the Warhammer bits, it ended in a really cool way. And then watching how they destroyed the world and just going, oh, well, I suppose that's one way to do it. <laughs> yeah. And now it's gone. Oh, well. I spent a lot of my life working on this. (laughs) And and, and now it's gone. I remember seeing a post from Gav Thorpe saying, look, don't be sad. Your job now is to go and dive into Age of Sigmar because they're going to have a lack of writers who know it all. Just jump in there and do it. And I was like, yeah, nah. Nah, I'm quite Uh, happy. I I think I might be done i might yeah. be done it's
0: like hey we i think we, i'm done we blow up your house but they're they're making a new house out of those bits and you know those bits so why don't you go it's like i'm, the... yeah. <laughs> I'm, I'm all right
1: <laughs> and like and um i i was not an easy convert um mm-hmm. but uh as time went on um my my it wasn't even dissatisfaction it was apathy well, that would be a better way of putting it just general nothingness towards it all mm-hmm. um slowly wore down but the one for me that broke me and made me go actually I'm wrong I'm quite digging the new stuff was when I went down to the studio of all things um so I was already hired to work on War Fantasy Roleplay 4 um no beyond that I was working as the producer for The line because I was down there to pitch some stuff about it um and I was in the studio and they were bringing in people and a beautiful part had just happened what um I don't remember his name it doesn't matter who it was he came in and he was holding the Fantasy Roleplay 4 book and he said this is a fucking Warhammer book. Yep. Yes. <laughs> he was really excited about it. Yeah. Um, and, and he called in some people in from the studio and went, look at this, this is what I was talking about. And I was just sitting there going, that's my book. He's loving it. Excellent. Yay. Um, it was quite a nice moment. But um, a whole bunch of people came in from the studio and they were showing off the new things that they had for AJ. And he brought in the just freshly painted and finished Slanesh models. And uh-huh. um, I just looked at them. And th- th- they're obviously the studio painted ones as well, so they were painted slightly good. Yeah, <laughs> <You're> <laughs> my, yeah, you my, lunch you, lunch me, you them. Every metal painting like, as they said back in the day. <laughs> <laughs> I was holding it like this, going, "Holy shit, this is good! Holy shit, that is a greater demon than it! Look at this thing! Look at that thing! How I mean, its is plopped!"
0: <laughs> oh. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. And and I, and I was like, oh, I want I want to be doing interesting Sigma now. Oh God damn it, I've just been converted. <laughs> so my first question was, hey, can I use these demons in this type of description in Warhammer, please? And they said yes. And I was like, ah, excellent, best of both worlds. Woo! There was actually a bit of a conversation um, about that because they were like, are they the same? It's like, well, of course they are. They're the same. Forty the k Warhammer, just about. You can use them. And I was like um so using those demons demons are,
0: demons are always the best they're they are yeah. they are canon in everything <laughs> yeah they <laughs> don't, don't are the universal
1: matter. language yeah totally um, yeah. they are the lingua franca yeah, yeah i very much um enjoyed those models and they were the ones that converted me you know i i had a very
0: similar experience of that like i was very apathetic didn't really care for it like i started kind of getting interested in like the storyline at the end of first edition because like oh this my importance mm-hmm. is kind of interesting like Um, and then they released the night haunt and I saw Lady Ollander and, um, Cardos Valentian. And I was like, Oh, like I had been a Lizardman player my whole life. And all of a sudden I'm like, Oh fuck, I'm collecting ghosts now. Um, and like, and, uh, but it's, it's been, I will say like, as someone that like is really like, I like to think of myself as much of a lore master of age of Sigmar as I am for fantasy, collecting all the books and the army books, which God, there's so many of them. Um, (laughs) there's so many (laughs) factions, (laughs) but, uh, um like one of the things that i've loved so much is you could tell when the passion came back of like it's not just like we're trying to sell models buy our game please it's it's like no we're we're creating a world and you started seeing all these beautiful like almost motifs to the warhammer fantasy universe like they wouldn't necessarily bring a character back but they'd reference them and they'd like talk about them or there'd be a character inspired by them or and in some cases they would take they they've been like retconning a lot of the end time stuff in age of sigmar and being like no that's not what happened here's what actually happened and you're like oh that's really cool um like i'll and like i will never forget um like i have been oh my god i cannot remember his name all of a sudden off the top of my head and it's gonna horrify me um oh (laughs) god i know he's on one of these books on this shelf um oh god maybe he'll come to me in a minute but um one of the uh David Geimer, there we go. David Geimer um wrote a he wrote a series of White Dwarf articles about Grombardol coming back. Um, mm-hmm. but what he what they didn't tell you is that it's actually from the the perspective of Grugny the entire time. And the whole series is about Grugny talking about the world that was, talking about the Warhammer world and how bad like he felt about everything and this regret. I cried reading that because it just okay. like it just stabs at your heart of the at the final story, he resurrects Grombrindol, and they have this conversation of father to son about the old world falling, and you're like, what? And, like, he wrote the the new Gotrek series, which is, that series made me laugh so hard because he, yeah. he was like, what if Gotrek was just an angry Warhammer fantasy fan in Age of Sigmar? Where they're like, we're Dwarden. He goes, no, you're, you're fucking dwarfs. Dwarden is not a word. <laughs> and, like, it's, it's great. And it's like but it's like there's all these cool little things where they're like, oh, flesh eater courts, yeah, they're pretty cool. What if we told you that Ushoran is the origin of them still, and that he got out and he's wandering around somewhere and you're like, oh shit, Nagash may have a baddie to deal with? Or like, yeah, yeah. We're yeah. like, hey, you know how the Skaven fucked over Nagash uh, multiple times in fantasy? Well, guess who screws up Nagash's plan in AOS? And it's like, <laughs> hey. this is amazing. Like, it's there's it's Seeing the world, like, it's still its own thing. It's still its own complete identity. But it's so beautifully interwoven that it's like, now if you know fantasy, you just get more out of it instead of yeah. less,
1: which is... Well, to begin with, it had to, uh, it had to carve out its own unique identity. Yeah. Um. Uh, they they didn't make it unique in that they didn't say it had nothing to do with anything else. They very much said, this is what comes after. But they, they were thriving down hard on it being unique and its own thing. And the fear um, that came with having too many ties to Warhammer and people wanting it to be Warhammer and not being quite there, just eroded over time. Mm. Um, And accepting that it was Warhammer 30K 40K. (laughs) Yeah. You know, know, the world that was is effectively Warhammer 30K and using that uh, also effectively as a driving marketing line. Um, That's, I think, an interesting, well, we all know how big the Horus Heresy is. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. And it's effectively their Horus Heresy setting. And they've decided to plumb back to and effectively recreate the Horus Heresy by having Azevar and his big massive drive down um, um for the so, Great War Against Chaos.
0: I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if I'm more excited for Magnus or Asvar Cool, like getting like minis. Because I just I know they're both gonna have minis. And like I've never even seen Asavar Cool. Like I think I've seen I think
1: Chaos Main And you uh, there's a there's a marvelous picture of not him that I did <laughs> in the book Empire at War. Um so in the Empire at War book, at the very bottom of the map that I did of the Battle for Kislev Gate, there's a bunch of shields for each one of the units that are on the map. Uh-huh. And beside the shield you can see the units. So for example, beside the shield on <gasps> oh, the ice oh, queen yeah, yeah, yeah. the ice queen is charging forward out of it. Mm. As of our cool is behind the shield. <laughs> because you can't depict the ever-chosen because that's blasphemous. Um, but I purposely avoided depicting him in any way, shape, or form. Because it meant that I'd never need to worry about accidentally contradicting the game, something that came later. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that was quite a fun one. Um, I, I throwing can... the ice cream on that one was good.
0: Yeah, I I'm so excited for everything that's gonna happen there, and I'm I'm glad I will say when they first announced it, I was really worried it was just gonna be pigeonholed to the Empire, but the fact we're getting like yeah. Setra and Cetra's, like invasion of the old like Setra's getting involved, it's like, oh, I can't wait to see a new Setra the Imperishable Mini. Like as much as I love the old yeah. Two King Minis, those skeleton horses were rough. <laughs> they're old. Yeah, they're they're they're, they're <laughs> definitely old. And like it's it's <laughs> yeah. it's, it's truly uh, I I can't wait.
1: Yeah, me too. I'm uh, very much, I'm, I'm looking forward to seeing all the things that they do and how I can then incorporate that into the games that I play because yeah. as a creator on the role play side, I can't help me be building stuff constantly whether it's from my own games, professionally or whatever. And just the idea of this great, wealth of new material coming is extraordinarily exciting. And as I mentioned way earlier in um, the thread, it's going to overwrite large chunks of the game that I may have written already. Mm. Um, But that, as I've said before, isn't something that bothers me of anything. It excites me because then I can say, well, why do the people in my game believe it's the other way Mm. when actually what it was was this way? And I think that's something that um, games like, to really go back to early in the stream, games like Dragon Age do very well. Where they establish a setting, they teach you the setting, and then they show you what happened. And you realize that the truth is not what everyone thinks it is. Yeah, which and is... that's very much at the very core of what the next game they're yeah, going to be And that's also like, is.
0: That's what history is. Like, yeah, it know, is. It's, Absolutely. It's, it's
1: not what actually
0: happened, it's just kind of what an interpretation of the winners said what happened.
1: <laughs> Indeed. And um, some of the fun is plumbing down into the truth that lies behind the fables that are told. Um, it's certainly one of the fun aspects of role playing games in general, where uh, particularly for fans of the setting who have an expectation of it being one way, and then find a fact that says, actually, it might be different. It always makes for an exciting and compelling story. Mm. Uh, yeah, totally. Well- that I,
0: God, this has been so much fun, and I would love to. I'm oh, glad you enjoyed it. Going for eternity, but I know uh my Sunday game of The Enemy Within starts in 30 minutes, and my GM will shoot me if I enjoy it instead. <laughs> 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 uh, 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 yeah, so just just a fun little thing. So I'm playing a witch hunter. Um, been having nice. a really good time with it. uh We failed Bogenhoffen. Uh, it blew up.
1: Oh. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So oh.
0: we brilliant we 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 were we set up like this beautiful scheme to capture all the bad guys together and i would never played the enemy within before so i didn't know like what like who the actual bad guy was or any of that stuff and it turned out that stupid little bastard demon of his that was helping him (laughs) out had shape-shifted into him so the real guy we needed was somewhere else and we had our chance to catch the demon and we failed to catch him because the damn pursuit rolls just screwed us so demon gets away Ritual goes off. So Bogenhofens they summon Kairos Weaver. <laughs> he starts eating everybody. We have to, f- you know, we- our GM's like, all right, so we're trying to get out of the city. We're like, okay, let's go to the stables. We get to the stables and the GM's like, yeah, all of your horses were mutated together to a giant Chaos Spawn. So we have to fight this stupid bastard Chaos Spawn. <laughs> And I'm sitting there like I spent five, like I spent so much gold on this horse, and now I gotta kill it. <laughs> and you know we get what on our, she? we get on our boat, we flee the city. We have this whole thing of one of our characters, uh, we have this uh, girl in our party who's very empathetic, and like we, you know we have these refugees with them. And my witch hunter's talking, all of a sudden my witch hunter realizes that one of the refugees has a third eye on the back of her head, and he's like, mm. <laughs> so I killed a lot of the refugees <laughs> because like it's like all right anyone who has a mutation or is having weird dreams you go into this pile everyone else goes into this pile and this pile uh look away (laughs) and it's it's like it's
1: a grim and perilous world yeah
0: and dealing with the fallout of so we're in death of the reich right now and it it was great i had my character go into the flagellant career for a little while because i'm like hey he feels awful about he failed his job and like he he finished with that, and I went into runner to got my movement up to like five, and then got nice. also sprint. And like everything, I was like, I "Never, never again will a demon outrun me. Never again." <laughs> Good times. Thousands of people died because I could not run fast enough. Um, anyway,
1: um, there's a there's a lovely just to finish on that a lovely picture at the very end of the book again done by Sam. I don't know if you've seen it, the one with the greater demon arriving. Yes. Um, and there's a tiny, tiny, tiny little dwarf slayer hanging up. Yeah, I arms. saw that.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I, I, <laughs> yeah, I, I, um... yeah. He's sitting there. Kairos is sitting there eating people. And it's like, and then there's that one brave, <laughs> one brave slayer. Yeah. My GM was like, yeah, you'll need to flee the city. I was like, I can't, I can't flee. Are you kidding? And he's like, what are you going to do? And it's like, you know what? Okay. I'm, I'm going to roll a cool check. If I pass, my character is like, no, I gotta, I gotta go warn the emperor. I gotta go warn people. And if I fail, then I'm going to say, fuck it, I'm going to stay. And I pass the check. It was like, damn it. <laughs> all right, let's go. Um, anyway, uh, could you tell... Yes, you've got to go. Yeah, could yes. you tell all the glorious people in chat where we can find you? Because, like, you've talked right. about pods, Okay, you about um, streaming.
1: Like, there's a yeah. lot of things people okay, want to watch. Okay, right. Well, let's um, bring up some things, right? First, I stream weekly, although we're between seasons. I stream weekly with people across the games industry for Inside the Rookery. Um, I uh, Wait a minute, do I have your chat open? I might even be able to post it in chat. I can. Look at that. It's oh, magic. Can... Let me post a comment. Please I think do. I can do it. I'm going to okay, give you. Okay, oh, I've got chat rules. Okay, I've got it. I've got it. I've got it, chat rules. Um, that's the YouTube um, account for it. So that's the Rookery. You'll find um, four seasons worth of game chat. Some of it's Warhammer chat as well. We include Andy Hall in amongst all of that because we had a lovely chat with him just before the Chaos Wars were released. Yep. So that's number one. Number two, I also stream uh mapping um for Warhammery Bits and Bobs, but that's gonna be where I the same channel is gonna be where I do all the streaming for the enemy within. So I'll pop that up as well. But let me just grab that. I'm gonna grab a comment, like so. Discord, no, YouTube, that's it. There, we go. Publications. That
0: one. there we go, let's get that fancy VIP there. There we go. Now people can see yeah. easier.
1: <laughs> there we go. So hopefully I'll pop in. I'm a VIP. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Excuse me. <laughs> I'm very important now. I, I, I shall f- fix my imaginary tie. Okay, so that's um the YouTube. So that's just the two YouTube channels. That'll give you links to wherever else if you drop in there. Um, The big one for following me if you want to find me is on Twitter at Um, So if I just write at Pimuses, that will give you something to find. At Pimases like so. Did that go in? Or did it just say at Pimases? Oh, come on. Oh, uh, there we there go. you go. Yeah. That's my twi- That's my uh, Twitter person thing. Right, and Come I will there. You'll find me and follow me and re- do whatever you do when you're online. Um, okay. And that's that. Uh, other than that, uh, if you're into role playing, we will have all manner of cool system-free role playing bits and bobs that you'll be able to play with Warhammer if you play Warhammer, or if you're a D&D fan or anything else fan, you'll be able to play it with that too. Because we are not quite so exclusive as just to do Warhammer things. That's so. Awesome. Um, that's gonna be all kinds of awesome.
0: Yeah, I, yeah, the uh, the ship, the full ship, I think is what you call it. Ship? ship of fools. Ship like, of fools. Ship of fools. I know it's not going to be out in time to do it, but like because I campaign on Thursday, we're starting in Salzenmund, and I'm playing a skink that has got, <laughs> gotten there. And so I'm, the character, everyone else is a human character, has to be introduced to my skink, and then we're sailing to Lustria. So <laughs> so we can do some Sea of Claw stuff. And it's like, that sounds perfect for what's probably going to happen on that yeah. boat.
1: <laughs> yeah, it's um wait till you see some of the art for this oh man i'm just imagining something just, um, some of the people in the ship of fools are for example a hen party do you know what a hen party is it's a very uk version of uh a bachelorette yeah uh, a bachelorette party, yeah, a
0: bachelor jesus party. oh jesus okay <laughs> so we've got yeah yeah
1: that okay and they're all halflings um
0: oh, so it's my a halfling bachelorette God.
1: party and hud's <laughs> mark figured out a really good way to give them all giant hats that look like what you would expect a bachelorette party ah. to be wearing? Yes, he has. Um, they're <laughs> astonishingly That's... ridiculous. I love them, and as you'll know from some, he did obviously all the work for the good old Chaos Wars back in the day. He knows how to do a hat. Uh,
0: yes, I. Oh man, <laughs> uh, now I just now I'm imagining Chaos Wars with phallic hats.
1: Uh. <laughs> well, you said it. Uh, I mean, I would... some of the some of the old uh, what, what, the ones for the uh, the support weapon. The rocket launcher. Yeah, very... uh, yeah, I mean, it's like... <laughs> very phallic like that. You know, I,
0: I could see some chaos where it's being like, no, we're not compensating for anything. What are you talking about? <laughs> at all. We're not... <laughs> <laughs> okay
1: um, Yeah, good times
0: all right thank you so much uh i'm gonna go ahead and end the stream here and uh oh of course a raid just shows up as we're ending i'm so sorry for those who raided. uh i will uh have this posted up on youtube i'll also port it over to all the different podcast site for people who just want to listen um and i'll on those in the descriptions will be all the links to all the andy stuff which you should absolutely check out because that's where i'm I'll be there um so uh thank you all so much for watching i'm gonna go ahead and end the stream so that me and him can uh uh, end up and uh i'll talk to you all later thanks so much bye-bye
1: bye-bye